Dice, dragons, demons, and a dwarf in the Warhammer worlds. Don't miss our live show on Thursdays, but for now, you've got us on sloppy seconds with our podcast with the Grimdark Gang. It's time once again for Grimdark Live. Welcome to Grimdark Live, your weekly webcast for all things dice, dragons, demons, and a dwarf in the Warhammer worlds. I'm your host, Patrick. And I got Chuck with me tonight. Chuck, what do you what do you hear? What do you say, bud? I'm here, ready to roll, ready to rock. Yeah, you look very concentrated there, man. I wasn't sure what you were doing. I'm I'm trying to fuddle around with my mute button on my microphone. Obviously, I don't know what the frack I'm doing. I'm just uh, very focused on the show. That's yeah. what I'm doing right now. Hyper focused. Yeah. So so folks, you got Chuck and I tonight, man. Uh, Justin yeah. is uh, Justin is out. He uh, he's doing all the homesteader stuff tonight, man. You know, he bought a house, so he's got to be home and, and and doing all that lovely stuff. That Chuck and I are well in Sconston, man. I mean, we're we're like professionals. He's, at... uh, yeah, he's he's moving the house, isn't he? Like boxing everything up and. I think from I, one location to another. Yeah, I think he's just settling in right now. But yeah, you know, I mean, I, we yeah. we should have warned him though, man. All this stuff about you know fixing stuff around the house and clogged drains and you know toilet problems and furnace problems. I mean, we should have warned him, man. He would have never have done it if we talked to him. So the the thing you do when you get a house is you end up fixing up the house that you have prior to selling it, and then you move into a new house that isn't necessarily move-in ready. So then you start with another list of projects to do. You know, that kind of reminds me of the story about, you know, you know, current current marriage crisis here in, in this country. You know, I mean, why, why, not, why not people just cut cut right the whole middle process out and just find a woman you really don't like and just buy a house for her? Well, that sometimes that's how the first wife is. <laughs> exactly. Am I right? Or, or is that where you were going with it? <laughs> I, well, I, I wasn't I wasn't quite going there. I mean, she's listening. Uh, no, oh. but um, yeah, we, we got uh, enough of that. You're going to get me in trouble, Chuck. Again, you're going to get me in trouble. Uh, but yeah, we got a great show tonight, man. We got uh, we we got um, we got a lot we're going to talking about, man. I, I mean, I, are you ready for this? We we got we got a couple of beefy topics. I know we so there's quite a lot of uh, material we're going to jump around on here and and get rolling. Yeah, and folks, I mean, we do. We got we got a lot tonight. Uh, we we have a good one ahead of you. Uh, we're going to be talking about um, a little bit more on the anvil of apotheosis. I'm actually happy that we kind of bring in this back from last week's show and even a little bit from the previous show. Uh, Chuck, you're going to be going through your build a bear for nerds uh, for us today, right? You're going to kind of be showing us what you got. Yeah. So you know, I took apart uh, a the build for apotheosis. I did uh, some internet search. I did a, you know a little bit of background like over the weekend, and I think. Earlier this week, I sort of settled on a Stormcast build. Cool. Cool. I mean, you know what? I, I got to tell you, it, it, it is probably my favorite thing to come out of the General's Handbook 2020 is this Anvil of Apotheosis. Um, I, yeah. I love I love what it does, and I really, I hope, my, my prediction, I know, you know, folks, if you want to go back and listen to a, a show that we did uh, a few weeks ago, we talked about, you know, our wish lists, you know, for uh, what we'd like to see moving forward with uh, with the game, with the hobby, Age of Sigmar. 
And um, mine specifically was I'd really like to see them take that anvil of apotheosis, or AKA as we call it here in Grimdark Live, the Build-A-Bear for Nerds, and put that into each new battle tome as they roll out. I'd really like to see that as part of the game because, um, look, you know, the proof is in the pudding. I mean, it's been wildly yeah. successful for, you know, Pathfinder and D&D and... I think uh, I think it's something that um, I think is only going to enrich the game. And, you know, it's it's funny. You know, I, I was never really a big fan of the narrative part of things. You know, I, I, I liked them. You know, Steve Herner runs a great event, yes. you know, two of them a year, and they're narrative. But narrative wasn't really my jam for a long time. It was uh, – I like the competitive play. But, you know, a couple of things that they've done, especially with the Anvil of Apotheosis, kind of got me looking a little bit more towards narrative. And it brings me back to my, you know, days as a, as a kid, man, playing D&D all those years ago under, under the Gary Gygax world of, of D&D back in the day. So well, I like and, it. Well, and let's not forget that, you know, before the naysayers come out and they start jumping all over this and they say it's not tournament ready and – it's got to be TO approved. A lot of these abilities are underpowered. Exactly. Uh, especially for the point costs that you get. There are so many other unique characters and uh, heroes, essentially, whether right. they be foot, mounted, or dragons, that are going to benefit more from other keywords that they would get versus the generic Build-A-Bear character that, that you would make. Um, yeah. yeah, it's going to add a little bit of spice, but it's not going to be over the top. No, and, and I think that was on purpose, right? I mean, GW can't yeah. have their, their rank-and-file characters, you know, get, get you know, shown up by, you know, Joe and Jane Gamers, you know, made-up characters from Anvil of Apotheosis. So I think uh, for the most part that um, uh, they they have it – I think they have it set just about right. I, I even, I even kind of like the idea of this, you know, the 20-point or the 40-point uh, type of character that you can build. And, of course, you know, taking those, you know, those points when you go through the – I think it's six steps – you go through those steps and you build your character, multiply all that by 10, yep. and then voila, there you go. I, I, th I like the fact that you can't exceed the 200 or 400 thresh threshold, that mark, because I think that also kind of uh, puts things into play. But I can tell out of the General's Handbook, um, there was a lot of thought that came into this, and, and I think there was a lot of planning that came into this. And, and of all the recent iterations of the General's Handbook, when they started to kind of do stuff like, you know, in general, in, in, in the GHB 19, they gave us mercenaries. And that was like a pretty neat thing. And um, but I think what they've done here with this one, with this Anvil of Apotheosis, I think is is definitely a, a home run win. I mean, to me, it's it's my favorite. It's my favorite thing to come out of the GHB 2020 for sure. So and you can with, you know, the different online programs you can use to um, edit and create your War Scroll card, which I think was like the funnest part. I got to put all the you know specific names in there, just the description, the abilities. Right. Um, even like a little damage table for the monster. Right. And, uh, you know, as long as it's equivocal to what you're trying to build it as, you know, I don't think it's over the top. And um, it, it took me a good 45 minutes to kind of figure it all out. But I right. think it was worth it, especially if I'm going to run it just for fun, you know. Well, yeah. And, you know, the thing is, and I like the word, man, equivocal. I, I like I like the way you put that, man. That was that was pretty good. Oh. But uh, but here in the chats, here in the chats, we got Jason Moss here. He said, just remember, Wisconsin is the source of D&D, so we'll always be better than Illinois for that reason. Um, okay. He's going back He's going back to the Lake Geneva original Gen Con days. Thanks for rubbing it in, Jason, you jag off. That kind of hurt a little bit. I don't know what we ever did to offend you. I mean, I like cheese. Chuck, you like cheese, don't you? Cheese is great. Cheese curds are even better. I wait. I, I gotta say something, and, and correct me if I'm wrong. And, and Jason, you maybe you do this in the, in the chat or, or, or Chuck, if you know. But wasn't Gary Gygax from Illinois? Oh yeah, yeah, he was from Illinois. 
Aha. Oh, now. <laughs> aha. Yeah, I, I, the I, original first edition D and D was sort of before my time. I was like a sec. You know, second edition was stretching it. Really, it was 3.0 and right. 3.5 is where. I hit it, you know. You know, um, I, I got to tell you, maybe it's all the bong resin and beer hops that's kind of stuck in my brain right now. But uh, I remember back in the day, and I'm talking like I like literally '84, '85, in that in that realm. Uh, we'd go to a great game store uh, here in the northern northwest suburb of Chicago called Games Plus. That's been there forever, and that's in Mount Prospect, Illinois. Love the place. And we used to go there and play D and D and Squad Leader and all these games. And and I, re- I if I vaguely remember, it was second edition D and D, and um and it was it was great. I mean, we we literally were the Stranger Things kids. We were literally the that you know that era those kids, and um it was great. I mean, it was so again. I, I guess before we get long winded and before we allowed you know Jason Moss to keep beating the crap out of us on the uh, on the chats. No, Jason, all you know all good stuff, man. Um. He's actually, you know, he, he, Jason's one of our patrons, man. He's like, he's like on the board. We got to be nice to him. Well, now we got like the Packers versus Bears conversation going on. Oh, I know. I'm looking, I'm looking at this. I'm looking. Hey, I guarantee guys, we are not going to be talking about football today. Promise you. It's all going to be nerdy (laughs) stuff, tabletop stuff. We're not going to be doing that. Um, Because, you know, to think about it too, neither team has like any good cheerleaders. Bears haven't had cheerleaders in forever. So, I mean. COVID-19 ruined it all. Did COVID-19 kill the cheerleaders? Yeah, I'm sure it keeps them away. Yep. For some reason, it's COVID-related. Well, we we probably need to go back to that Slanesh conversation and really start investing in more sultry cheerleaders, personally. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Chuck's like, not that again. Don't do that again. Um, Yeah, so... So we got that, but you know something else. Uh, I think we also have a conversation on what could possibly be a shift in the meta, you know, through the rest of the year, and I think that's going to tie into a little bit of of what we've already seen, say from January to July, and from July yeah. moving forward to the end of the year. And and you know, and we're going to get into a little bit later, but some things that I saw on the boards, uh, and that I'm going to kind of kind of cherry pick off of. I shared that with you, Chuck, and we're going to put that up on the boards here uh, on our own show later on, and we're going to kind of talk about the top two, maybe top three. Um, of where the, the you know in other words what we're going to try to dissect here is what what made the top three at the beginning of the year you know the top three armies uh good and what did they lose with the new general's handbook 2020 and, and what did the top three that we currently have say from the july mark when the general's handbook 2020 came out to now the end of the year what what did they have what did they gain that makes them uh that make that makes them good, and I and I love to see that you know as yeah. we as we put it on the in the show in the show title, what a difference a book can make. You know, I mean, General's Handbook 2020. But I, I do think they they're as close as they possibly could be to having a darn good book in the GHB 2020. Yeah, so there are um, key differences and and key points to each one of those. We know each time that. A new GHB drops. We're right. going to have a shift in top tier armies. True. Uh, there's some people who are just going to pout and sell their army on eBay, pick up another one, or trade it with a friend. Um, we've talked a lot about our local areas, you know, and why we play the armies we play. I know you're more of a, a beast of chaos lover, um, and I just like to play armies that nobody else plays, and sure. you know, if they're underrepresented. Not right. necessarily if they're a top tier list, but well, yeah. I think with what's happened in the last, I would say since July, because I'm, I'm pretty sure 
a lot of the material has come out since then when the GTs have started back up and ramped up, mm -hmm. especially since that's when the book was released. Uh, we have seen probably a, a one of them is a surprise. Another one is sort of expected. Um, I actually put a little bit of information together on the surprise army, I thought. Which, and, I mean, give us a little bit of a peek behind the curtain. Just say the name. Um, so my surprise um, army was Stormcast that I thought uh, is doing better with the current book. Okay. That, that I'm yeah. going to be interested on because I'll be honest with you. I hadn't even thought about that. Okay. Um, so, I, I should say I hadn't thought about Stormcast, you know. Um, but I, I love the fact that topic is coming up and, you know, I, you know, I, I, before, I, I know I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to pull the car over here a little bit and, and, and take a left turn to Albuquerque and kind of talk about Stormcast just for a brief second, you know, okay, we get it. They're the, they're the golden children, right? They're the poster yeah. child for, for all that age of Sigmar is right now. I get that. But I think part of the problem with Stormcast is quite frankly, they're Stormcast, you know, they came out. Uh, they're a, a great army, but I think a lot of people, I think from the beginning, the things that I've heard, people had a bitter taste about Stormcast in their, in their mouth because there was two sides of that coin, right? On one side, you had Stormcast. The other side, you had Corn, Corn Bloodbound. And in a, in a five-year game, Stormcast have gotten four books. In a five-year game, Bloodbound have gotten, what, one book, I think. Uh, uh, two, if you consider, you know, the, the, the new book with all the demons and everything in it. So, I sure. think um, I think there was some bitterness from that standpoint, but I think also yeah. you know in GW's you know haste in the early part of the of the game, they wanted to make Stormcast very explosive. You know they wanted to have them come out and they did. They beat the crap out of everybody, um, and they 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 had the Alpha Strike. They they could hit you harder than than Winter right. on Welfare. They had all the things they that 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 any they they shot. Their shooting was great. Yes. But what I like about the Stormcast now, and I and I ragged on them. I did. But what I what I like about them now is that I think I think for the first time in this game, maybe even the first time since seventh edition Warhammer Fantasy Battles, we have pretty much of an even playing field across the board. You know, when they got rid of all the um, uh, the, the the realm specific spells and they, they brought all the armies back into their own books, I think that uh, put a lot of even keelness to the game. And so. Yes. Uh, Stormcast is one that I really enjoy talking about now, and I love to see a good Stormcast player and a good Stormcast army now, whereas before, I kind of rolled my eyes. So it's one of those armies that I really appreciate now. Um, uh, you know, there it is. There's my, there's my left turn at Albuquerque and, and, and stall in the show. All valid points. I, yeah. think, I think those are valid points in each each part that you put out there. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, so, so that's, but, but here's the thing, but, but after all of that folks, when we discuss that today, uh, we're going to have the closing thoughts on the, and, and the question of the day. So, so don't answer it now, but here we go again. Uh, I got some positive feedback on doing this. We're going to kind of try this to, uh, again here, but, but don't answer it now, but today's question of the day is going to be, will the dogs of war aspect of the sons of Behemoth ruin the uniqueness of the army, meaning sons of Behemoth, or, Will it simply open them up to a broader group of gamers that might not have played them otherwise? So that's going to be the question of the day later on in the show after we get through all of the awesome Grimdark goodness today. So stick around for that. Don't leave anything in the chat or we're going to have Jason Moss beat the crap out of you. That's what's going to happen. Uh, and, 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 and he'll do it, man. I mean, I've, I've heard stories, man. Um, but you know, isn't like, isn't like the border of Illinois technically south, just south of Madison? Isn't that all kind of like, isn't that like well Illinois? Well, I, I think Illinois. because it, yeah, it creeps into like the Chicago Northwest suburbs, yeah, pretty much, yeah, um, yeah, it 
Because, like, you yeah, know, it's sort of like Gary, Indiana, is still part of southeastern Chicago. You who? Know? <laughs> hey, I'm like way south of I-80, so. Well, whatever, yeah, you're. I, I'm not. <laughs> dude, you are down there where Jesus left his sandals, man. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah, but but I, honestly, it, it's like it's like I kind of look at the barometer, like you know, the Cubs they have Wrig- Wrigley North with the Brewer Stadium, and the Brewers, you know, they got Brewer Stadium South at Wrigley Field, so that's kind of like there's that blurred area there. I don't know, you know, I'm I'm sure, I'm I'm sure Jason will answer that for us, dude. Thank you guys very much. We're gonna be right back with uh, with the news. Hey, you Grimdark goons, thank you all so much for listening to our Grimdark Live podcast. If you're new to the Grimdark Live experience or new to our podcast and like what you hear, please follow this podcast and pass us along to your friends. Let us know what you think about Grimdark Live in the show's comment sections, and let us know just how we're doing. Also, don't forget to catch us live on Thursdays. And if that isn't enough for you, check out our website at www.grimdarklive.com. That's grimdarklive.com. Anyway... Thanks for listening, following, and just being awesome. All right, we are back, and we got the uh, we got the news we're going to be getting into right now. So uh, we're going to start as we always do, and that's with the rumor engine. So, Chuck, you ready, man? I'm ready. You All show right. me what we're doing. Here it is, man. We have the rumor engine pick. So this one's kind of funny. This this is interesting, uh, also because it could be many things. I just want to throw that out there before everyone jumps off the cliff with their happy pants on, their happy parachute pants on. Um, I mean, obviously this looks to be mostly undead stuff, in my humble opinion. You know, probably for for maybe Warcry or something like that, or. Again, our beloved vampires, a new faction. Maybe this is something for those pirate vampires, like an anchor holding the ship down or, or, or something like that. I mean, uh, maybe the hook of a of a grot sky pirate. See, I brought those things up again. Chuck, what do you think, man? What is this rumor? I, you know, engine? I just, I feel like if you look at the hand, it's similar to the hand that we saw before. Very skinny, gaunt-looking. Oh, my, holy crap. I just noticed that's a hand. And I think it's a hand dragging a hook. That, now, I, yeah, maybe it is. Also, think about they would use that type of hook to drag stuff across ships, like crates and things like that. Right. Almost like a, a hook for hay. Yeah. And it, that looks like a piece of like driftwood or wood underneath the hook. So it could be like some type of character with a holding a hook, right. you know, leaning off of a piece of wood, posing, ready to, I don't know. Bite, jump at somebody who knows right. it uh, right. but I do think it's like some type of hook related to a ship that's what I would say yeah I mean you know but but going back to what you said before about about the hay I mean so, so does that does that look like a hay hooker that you're familiar with uh no not really but I mean I'm just like you brought it up I was just asking something I mean, I don't know if, you know, all the way all the way down there if you know you come across those a lot you know if you ever used a hay hooker I don't know I have not used a hay hooker personally, but I swear to goodness, that looks like a hook that somebody's grabbing onto. Maybe. Don't you think? Well, you know, honestly, all joking aside, that I hadn't sure. even noticed until you said that, that, that that's a hand. I, I hadn't, I haven't, uh, to me, it looked like well, some kind of like a strap or something like that. I guess, I guess, I don't know, man, but now, now that you say it's a hand, I can see the knuckles. So, yeah, typically when they edit these pictures and release a rumor engine, it's a painted figure already that they gray out. Right. So if you look at like 
the upper part of the hand above where the handle is at. Right. It, it's a curved paint job going up. Sure. Like, like it's a fist and you can see the wrinkles in the skin. Right. Yeah, you know, and it's funny when I first looked at it, I totally missed that. So, so bravo to you, man. But I totally missed that. But when I, when I first looked at it, it seemed a bit rough. You know, when I, when I first was thinking maybe it was some type of obviously a pirate theme, whether it be the the Grots or the vampires, I immediately said it looks looks to be something. It doesn't look. It looks to be too rough, I should say, uh, to be futuristic. So I definitely knew it wasn't 40k. And also, they they painted the skin. Uh, or the, I'm calling it at first, I thought it was like the strap, but I guess that is, would be the skin, like something dead or I guess decaying now that the more I look at it, you know? So, yeah. um, are, are we back to the freaking sky pirates again? Is that what we're talking about here? You know, I, I, I think so. Or some type of zombie pirate, maybe. I, 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 aren't vampires zombies, sort of? The undead? Well, not. Well, vampires still have like a cognitive thinking ability for critical thinking. Zombies are sort of, you know, the brain dead corpse. That okay. All right. They're yeah. different. Yeah. Like this would be more of a, a conscientious vampire grabbing a hook. I don't think a, a zombie is going to necessarily grab a hook. I mean, in The Walking Dead, they never really did. They just sort of meandered around. They did, and you, you want to know something? You want to know something? I will, I will say something else that those those bastards, those dead bastards in the, in the Walking Dead did. Somebody was mowing those lawns. That's the only problem I have about that show. See, here it yeah. is, Chuck. You caused me to take another left turn at Albuquerque again. This 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 the zombie apocalypse is going on for like what seven, eight, nine, ten, twelve years, whatever it is, and no one's and who's who's mowing the lawns? I mean, we got perfectly manicured golf courses. The lawns look great. I mean. Who's mowing the lawns? I bet it's my neighbor. You know, he's one of those guys that mows the lawn like four times a week. I bet he survived the whole thing, and he's out there mowing those lawns. He'd yes. be that guy. But, yeah, that, that's my only problem with The Walking Dead. Who the frick is mowing those lawns? At any rate. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not really sure what, what, uh, what that is, but I guess I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to err on the side that it could be some type of, like, uh, wouldn't that be cool if it was, like, a vampire pirate ship? Now, picture this. We have a vampire pirate ship with, like, a tethered line of, like, zombies as like the as like the anchor rope, <laughs> you know what I mean, and, and uh, to, to the actual along. ship, yeah, <laughs> almost like the barrel of monkeys. You know what I mean? Instead, it's like a barrel of zombies. That would be yeah. really, really, really freaking cool. So, yeah, we're gonna have to see. But um, but yeah, I, I, damn dude, you got me on that one. I I hadn't even thought about that as being a hand until you said that. Then it kind of like it, it dawned on me. And I was like, holy crap, that's a hand. Bravo, man. I mean, it, it looks like a hand. If not, it it's a piece of cable, and it's a ship hooked onto a piece of wood. Nah, know? I'm looking at that again, dude. That those are knuckles. Okay. Yeah, those are definitely knuckles. Yeah, and, and that looks like uh, that that looks like one of the hay hookers that you're familiar with for sure. So, <laughs> all right, moving on, man. We got the uh, we we got the pre-orders that are coming up here for uh, for Games Workshop. And uh, this one's kind of kind of interesting to me because uh, these are going to be the 19th or this Saturday pre-orders, and it looks like Games Workshop revealed the next week's pre-orders, the the Arena of Death for Underworlds, uh, and and this is going to be kind of interesting because you know, I was reading about this, and this looks to be a three to six player kind of battle where where you're going to get three plus three to six, I guess people are going to be able to play this to battle it out, and uh, the current season of Warhammer Underworlds. They're saying, I, I wasn't aware of this, but they're saying it comes to a close with this Arena Mortis, which is what, what this pre-order is here now. 
And I guess the whole gist of this arena mortis is rather than seeking to gain like, you know, uh, the, the, the glory by scoring objective uh, cards, this arena mortis is all about slaying your opponents and, and, and the arena of death is just there for just, just, just fighting really. It's like a, like a big pit fight from what I gather. And um, they're saying the game is really only won by having only one victor left, you know, so it, so it's uh, death. yeah, it's like, gladiator. it's like Thunderdome, man. It's like, yeah. It, yeah. It's like, one I, man, two men enter, one man leave. Exactly, man. Master Blaster. Can you know? I, I, he should have never. He if he got that chainsaw started. No way. It was Mel Gibson who was working on the chainsaw. At any rate, he cheated. Um, but I guess the expansion it's going to feature some new double sided game boards, all the tokens that you need to play Arenas Mortis, and and additional universal upgrades. And what do they call those cards? Uh, they're like Gambit card or Gambit or. I don't know. I don't really play. I don't, I don't actually play the game a lot. I played a couple of games of the original yeah. Underworlds uh, and enjoyed it. But it, it's Underworlds is one of those games I think that's a lot like Warcry, where that's a beer and pretzels in your buddy's basement type of game. You don't really see that being played a lot in game stores. Uh, at, at least I don't. I mean, what, I mean, what about you? Have you ever really seen it played in game uh, stores? We, we actually had Underworlds and Warcry small like ten person events at FlatCon last year. But, I mean, really it was like a homebrew local scene. So the players who used to play like the, you know, 10 mini or less game, or they were the heavy board game player, uh, that group was like the regular one that met every two weeks. And that was just kind of the group that we catered to. And I know like myself and somebody from Springfield and a couple others sort of like joined in, just have fun, Um, learned it on the scene, like just played one practice game and then got thrown into a tournament. Right. Right, but it was fun. I mean, they are just kind of hang out, play, have fun. Uh, typically, there's like one to three factions that just shoot to the top when you're playing these games. Um, like Stormcast are very difficult playing Warcraft because of their shooting capability. Okay, uh, and we'll just have to see like in the future how it plays out for other factions. Yeah, and I think for me, I think the other thing that kind of squelched my my time in playing Underworlds or even Beastgrave. Uh, because I was kind of hyped on, on on Beast Grave because they came out with you know my, my Beastie Boys they came out with it with a with a with a pretty cool uh, war band for that, but uh, hence Beast Grave. But uh, I think Warcry for me is what kind of snuffed out Underworlds. And, and I I, said, I think we said it at the time we were talking on the show one time at the time that they released they kind of they kind of had like a back to back release of Warcry, uh, and and Beast Grave, and um, I kind of said boy that's kind of like internal competing you know it, it's like uh, how yeah. i want but and because and, I, I and we've kind of seen that right i think i think uh i think war cry is a more popular game i think i, I think so and i think the the average age of aos player age of sigmar mm-hmm. is going to gravitate towards war cry because they can use those miniatures as a small war scroller band right in their own army that they yeah play. It, it's like the point you make all the time about crossover games right I mean, they might yeah. they might paint up the their, their Warcry units and then use them in D and D or something like that, yeah. Or Frostgrave or another game and, like that. And there's so. already specialist games out there that people play and have been playing forever. Blood Bowl is one of those examples where we have players who have been collecting and playing and painting for so long that they probably should have catered to that before releasing like these back to back releases uh, for mm-hmm. the, another specific specialist game. Right. Exactly. Well. 
that's what's happening right now. So we got uh, we got Beastgrave that's going to be wrapping up you know, that Underworld season uh, with Arenas Mortis. So uh, we're going to be uh, seeing more on that. And, hey, you know what? If you guys are, are big into Underworlds, you know, let us know what you think of it. You know, leave some comments uh, in, in the show notes here or um, – or, or invite us to a game, man. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll bring the beer. Chuck will bring the whiskey. We'll offend everyone in your house. It'll be fun. It'll be a nice night. Uh, a rum. I would bring rum. Chuck is a, Chuck is a pirate, folks. He really is. Arr. There you go. All right, so here's our next one. And this one's kind of a, a little bit of a stretch. But, hey, we're still in the fantasy realm here. And this is going to be the quest for the ring bearer. Now, I saw this, and I really had to talk about this. I mean, I know it's not Age of Sigmar, but you know what? It's fantasy. It's Lord of the Rings. It's Middle Earth. It's The Hobbit. It's all that good stuff. And if you're not into that, yeah, and if, and if you're not into that, uh, I, I question you as a human being. But um, this new set is going to feature, uh, I think it features 28, or this new book, I shouldn't say set, I've still got Underworlds in my head. Uh, this, this, this features 28 narrative play scenarios in this book, and it's going to start with Farmer Maggot's crop on the Shire, and it's going to take you right on through to the, here it is, folks, spoiler, spoiler warning, uh, the destruction of the One Ring and the fire of uh, Mount Doom. So um, you're going to kind of get to relive some of the actual Lord of the Rings, um, or I'm, I'm sorry, uh, Hobbit stuff uh, right then and there. And uh, I guess along with those scenarios, what they're saying is the new supplement is going to include rules for combining them in other campaigns alongside, you know, you're going to mix and match some other additional rules for building your own fantasy fellowship. And I thought this was kind of neat because the example that, that, that GW was giving on the boards was, you know, what would, what would happen if uh, Faramir had joined the Fellowship instead of Boromir? You know, what would have happened there? Um, uh, you know, he probably wouldn't have been blowing that, that, that dorky horn. That probably wouldn't have been happened. But, uh, well, you know, this, I think just middle, the Lord of the Rings line is just a classic uh, tie-in with almost any game system, whether it be D&D, Age of Sigmar, um, for almost any gamer. I mean, I grew up reading the books in high school in the 90s. Right. Uh, I know that they were released well before then. I'm sure you probably uh, read, read some of that when you were you know, growing up. Then the movies hit. Mm-hmm. We had six to seven like multi-billion dollar movies for the franchise. And I thought there was some type of talk about doing a, another series of movies in the future, like in the next five years. Is that right? Or no, they're, they're, right? they're doing a, they're doing almost like a Mandalorian style series of shows. Uh, they were, and I think, I think the whole COVID thing kind of put a kibosh to the filming of that. Don't, don't, don't quote me on that. I'm not exactly sure, but I do know that they're, that they're uh, currently working on the storyline and the show between the end of the Hobbit and the beginning of the Lord of the Rings. So uh, what, what would that be? Kind of more of like a similarian type of, um, of a, of a time frame as far as, and I think it's going to be an Amazon show. I think it's an Amazon Prime show. Before it happened, yeah, because the Similarian was a one or two or three book series before the actual Lord of the Rings. It was more focused on the gods, wasn't it? Uh, you know what it did? It kind of filled in all the holes. It, it kind of it kind of okay. prefaced what was going to happen in Lord of the Rings, and it kind of filled in all the holes with, with, with The Hobbit. You know, that, that's one book that I've tried to read. I tried to get into the Similarian, yeah. and and I, I, I felt like I was reading, like, stereo instructions. It was... Yeah, uh, hard to get through yeah so i i i got about halfway through it twice and then just put it back on the shelf um but i i love the hobbit i love the lord of the rings and yeah i I read the lord of the rings uh heck back in you know uh high school you know we 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 i read that and then um we only read the first book in high school but then i read the rest of the the books for just leisure i was so i i I so love the books 
Uh, and then, of course, if you remember that that grainy cartoon they had, like in the late seventies, early eighties, you know, oh, The Hobbit. Yes. You know, and I think that, I think they actually came out with a um, uh, with a Lord of the Rings cartoon as well. But you know, uh, and I think I think Leonard Nimoy, Spock, he he did a song for one of them, like he actually sang in one of them or something like that. So. Um, boy, that made me feel really old, but yeah, so, so, you know, we, the Lord of the Rings has been kind of like our life, you know, and I got to tell you, as far as trilogies go, movies beats the pants off of Star Wars. Um, you know, I, I really think that the Lord of the Rings, uh, I thought, I thought stretching the Hobbit out to three movies was kind of goofy, but eh, you know, um, I, I, I do have to say though, when the Lord of the Rings first came out and yeah, exactly money, um, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. When, when, when Lord of the Rings first came out movie series you know uh look at the uh, superhero movies that they've been releasing in like two parts uh, right harry potter was two parts uh, right it, it, it is sometimes i mean yes the directors and producers they probably want to get more content into it and they don't want to make it a quick 120 minute movie or two hours they think right. they can stretch it out to get more of a storyline but when you release a movie and then three months later this the sequel comes out you're like well it's another like nine bucks I got to spend to go to the theater. You got to get your popcorn. You spend 40, 50, 60 bucks on it, but it's worth it. I mean, I, I like going to the theater. Yeah. Oh, I, I do too. But you, you know, you know, what started that trend? You know what that's, you know, what started that trend? Do you remember back in the day when they, when, when Lucasfilms re-released the, the, I want to say the original, uh, three the movies when they remastered right. them with that H H yeah. HDX or whatever. And yep. what was hysterical is, Millions of people went and repaid for movies, prime price for the movies that they've seen a million times. I mean, you want to talk about, I'd have to say that next to coffee, you know, coffee being just crushed beans and hot water, that is one of the best scams ever released onto the populace. Was yes. that, but that's what started it right there, was those original Star Wars movies being re-released like that. I so, can see that, yeah. Yeah. So so moving on, so that that's the Middle Earth stuff. And i got to tell you, this this has me... I could see myself getting into the Middle Earth game. I, re- I really could. I I I've, I love the idea about it. And I got to tell you, you watch the minute they release these this TV show or the series that they're going to do. This game is going to it's going to take off like a rocket. It's going to be extremely yeah. popular, yeah. for sure. Um, but all right, moving on. You know, folks, a little bit closer to home with the uh, with the Grimdark Live World. Um, we have another great take one from Grimdark Live. It's it's the it's the uh, Monument Hobbies take one, and it's another take one really, another great one uh, from the nicest guy in tabletop wargaming, and that's Randy. And where he uh, he sat down with uh, with his buddy Sean, uh, crazy man, crazy Sean. He's on the chat right now. He's being crazy, starting fights. You know, being typical Sean, being himself, man. You know, has to kind of always you know tip over the garbage cans and laugh about it. That's that's him, man. Uh, but it, it's, it's where, uh, you, you can check it out on YouTube and it's where Randy and Sean open a package of paints from, uh, from Monument Hobbies. It's about three and a half minutes. So if you haven't checked it out yet, you probably should because, uh, uh they're, they're great little videos that Randy puts out. He puts a lot of time and effort into them and they're, they're, they're great stuff. And, uh, and, and Sean behaved himself this time. Sean actually behaved himself, which is, um, which he is, didn't use like cuss words he didn't you know say anything foul or gratuitous no he kept his clothes on he everything i mean he really was uh he really was very proper you know i i think he might have you know i think he broke wind once or twice but other than that the video was great it was fine not really much much problems at all 
All right, moving on. Here we go. So we got a new book coming out, and this one really caught my my attention. Um, I don't know. Have you, have you heard about these new books that are coming out? This is the the, the Reverie that's out. Um, it, it's it's a no. It's it's a new wave of of Warhammer horror that's going to be coming out here pretty soon. And yes, I said horror. Uh, it's going to be coming out, and I think it's going to be starting in time for Halloween with this book. And the book is called The Reverie, and it, it's a new um, it's a new novel by. Uh, Fayervari, Fayervari, uh, Peter Fayervari. I hope I said his name right. Uh, yeah, it's French. Okay, I, I, yeah. Well, well, I'm not. I, I'm just a stupid Irish guy. Uh, but now, I, I know that this is 40k. I know it's a 40k novel and all. Yeah, and yes, we're going to be doing that later, Chuck. We are going to be boozing. It's going to be dis- it's going to be disgraceful. Uh, but to me, even though this is a 40k book, to me, it, it it will hopefully hearken to AOS novels, maybe a vampire type book in the future. I hope that this is kind of a of, of kind of like a warm up to what what we could be seeing down the pike for our own. When I because when I first saw the cover art, I thought, oh my gosh, you know that that that's right up our alley. Are we getting a are we getting our own you know horror book, Age of Sigmar book, or something like that? But even even something like this, I find enticing. I, I, before I keep blathering on, have you have you heard about this one yet, Chuck? I have not. I'm, I am intrigued, though. Yeah, because, you know, going back and forth, how we've been talking about vampire pirates and all that, this, you know, and then you you bring it up, I think it was the last show or the show before that, the Pirates of the Caribbean. You know, when I when I look at this cover art of the book, it looks like something like, you know, Johnny Depp would go stumbling by with a bottle of rum and a hooker beating him over the head with a purse or something like that. I mean, it completely looks like uh, something that would be happening in a movie like that, especially with the skull with the knife through the eye. And, but... well, and all the, the leaf petals, like the red leaf petals on the bottom, that's exactly. very classic. Yeah. Who is that? Uh, who is the? I think it was the second to the last uh, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean movie, Calypso or whatever her name was. You know, she didn't she have that? She had like you know candles and you know I don't know maybe, maybe yeah. but it looked like something you'd find like on on like in like Calypso's realm or something like that. Pretty cool. Uh, but the novel, I guess, is set in um, a place called Malpertis, uh, and it's the home world of the angels. Uh, uh, Resplant or something like that. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not a 40k guy. But what I thought was interesting about it was they're kind of taking the the idea of horror and they're putting it into this into this realm. And I, I think if you're a 40k person, you're going to enjoy it. But I really hope that um, that that's kind of a, a precursor to some books that we could be getting for the on the on the fantasy side. Be, because I think I think you're more into the 40k side than I am. I and mean, I dabble in it. I try. I lied everyone and say I'm going to start playing it, but it never happens. I mean, but you're more into it so, than I am, right? I get into pickup games and and uh, play with some of the guys here local, but it'll be for like four to six weeks at a time, and then we'll go to an event, play at an event, and then I go back to AOS. So, right. you know, my experience is limited at best, and it's right. really only good for like a month out of the year, you know. Yeah, you know, I I play nights and very, I don't even play them very often. Um, like like I said, I've got I've got the training wheels army, and I barely play them. But uh, but I, I am I'm really interested in this book. I think I think what Black Library is coming out with this book I think is uh, is going to be I think it's a great concept and I would I just hope GW Black Library whoever the whoever the decision maker is over there that you're going to come out with something for for us fantasy nerds that would be that'd be awesome. But uh, next thing in the news, man, you ready? Can can I move on to the next next little piece? You ready, Chuck? Yeah. Okay. So Armed Forces Day 3 made the cut. 
uh, I was pretty I was pretty stoked about this man our, our little uh, our little tournament now uh, this is actually going to be a tie-in to our main topic later this evening on the discussion of army standings you know pre and after the general's handbook 2020 and many of the data was taken from tournaments just like the one uh, that 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 AOS shorts has put together and that's that's this chart that I have up here on the screen uh, Dan from AOS Shorts uh, put together uh, tournament results. It's, it's a spreadsheet, really, that uh, was updated with the last series of events where uh, each event had to be five-plus rounds, and all of the armies had to be comprised of 2,000 points. And uh, thanks to the current circumstances, um, I guess you know, the kind of downside, maybe this might have helped the law of averages a little bit, uh, the average size tournament, uh, I think he said, was uh, 26 players, 25 or 26 players. So, you know, our, I mean, our tournament was, was 30, somewhere around there. Uh, so, you know, the, for a composite average to be 25 or 26, I mean, those are, those are pretty small tournaments. But, hey, that's the world we live in now. Um, but this is, some, this is some good data. Uh, and best of all, um, like I said, Armed Forces Day uh, was, was on the list. So I was, uh, I was pretty stoked. I mean, there we are right there. I mean, you, you look at that, and, and we were we – were, I'm going to go back and I'm going to say this. And if, and if anybody wants to – uh, correct me on this. I'm totally fine with that. But I think Armed Forces Day in the States was the first tournament played outside of COVID. Mm-hmm. I, I think it was. So I think we heard that from potentially other sources that mm-hmm. can correlate. So. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I think that's pretty cool. But Chuck, you were an Armed Forces Day, man. You were, you were doing yeah. pretty good. Yeah. You got pulled away to like be Mr. Responsible on Sunday. You couldn't even like stay and win the whole thing. So just because my daughter had a rescheduled first communion that we had to go to and and i'm there for you know it whenever it was going to be rescheduled we were going but it had been rescheduled twice already because of you know different rules that the state of illinois was trying to follow with covid19 so right yeah yeah exactly but yeah so i mean we 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 made the list man we're actually somebody when you get mentioned by aos shorts that's that's a big deal for a a bunch of for, for a wee little tournament like ours Yep. So, but you know, it's funny. I was looking over this, um, uh, this, this chart here. And, uh, um, what I thought was funny on this was the data was really well put together. And, and I can only imagine, you know, uh, Dan over there putting all this together. He must've, he must've, he must've worked harder than an ugly stripper to put all this together, man. I mean, this is, this is good yeah. stuff. Dan is very, uh, he's very detail oriented. Right. I would say he likes to get information from multiple sources data that's complete um, and he's very consistent in the data he presents and how he, he calculates his events because we right. did we submitted events uh information clack on the last two years and um I, I think i helped out with one other two-day event that i went to uh back in february or march before covid happened um there was a two-day event that I was just trying to give him tournament results for. So, okay, yeah, good. All right, yeah. I mean, and you know, the the, the thing that I th- I found interesting is when I was looking over the list, I thought it was funny that uh, Thunderbellies, you know, that's an Ogre Maw tribe's uh, tribe. You know, they got a top finish in, in one of the events, which I thought was pretty pretty crazy. Nurgle was on the podium, and and, and it literally looked like uh, Crouch and Overlords and Zeech had had you know pretty much. The, the the best standout throughout the entire uh you know showing i mean it looked like that yeah. those armies were the ones that kind of took the, yeah, yeah that they kind of took the cake all over the place no matter what the tournament was so 
but like I said, I like to see armies like like Nurgle doing well. And I the, the one that the one that kind of shocked me was uh, Ogre Maw Tribe's Thunderbellies of anything because that's something that I didn't expect. But I, I think that's where we're going to talk that's about up it. Your alley. What's that? That's up your alley. That's that's ogres, like sort of the beast uh, area, right? Yeah, yeah, it was, it was. I mean, you know, and, and I mean, I play them, but you know. Uh, and this is a whole nother whole nother topic, but you know the ogres have struggled, you know, and and, and I think it's more of you know the question of is it the army or the general, but they they've struggled. But then to see like a subpar build mm-hmm. in the Thunderbellies do something pretty well when it's pretty much it's probably just going to be a bunch of Mornfang, uh, that's pretty impressive. So I, uh, I I really like to see that. Um, but yeah, so so good stuff happening there for sure. But moving on to our last topic in the news, unless you got anything you want to add on the uh, the AOS shorts piece. No, I just I I oh, kudos to him for putting this stuff together, updating his website. That is probably the the biggest time factor in all of this. I am I'm assuming that he's he already knows how he wants to format it. He already knows how to calculate points up real quick. It's right. actually updating his website with current information week to week and that is something that he would have to do on a day-by-day basis yeah you know well from from how many countries from around the world that's what i mean 40 i don't know i have no idea but i gotta tell you my hat's off to him and i don't know how the frack he does it uh he probably has given up eating and sleeping but i'm really thankful he does it man to be honest with you um yeah but but awesome stuff but but moving on we've got um we got a new sponsor, man, and I'm I'm really happy to bring these guys uh, talk about these guys. We got Six Squared Studios. Uh, they are our new sponsor uh, here on Grimdark Live, and you know they were a great supporter of Armed Forces Day, uh, both last year and this year. And they're great people. You know, Kevin Jacoby has been on the show here a couple of times. And Six Squared Studios, to be honest with you folks, are the real terrain nerds that you really need to be getting your terrain uh, and and all of your hobby accessories from. Um, you can get your commercial laser cut MDF bases, your silicone molds for resin prints, your game and hobby accessories. And when I mean, when I say game and hobby accessories, man, I'm talking 15 to 28 millimeter terrain, 15 to 28 millimeter figures, 15 to 28 millimeter vehicles, and, and a ton more, man. I mean, check out their website. Uh, you can get them at sixsquaredstudios.ca. Again, that's sixsquaredstudios.ca. And uh, I'm telling you, man, get your nerd on with Six Squared Studios, folks. And, and they are new, um, New new helper here on the show, man, and, and we just we, we love them and we're very thankful for them. But I got to tell you, in all truthness, we got to come up with a better commercial with that. We are working on it, Kevin. If you're out there listening, we're working on it, man. We got a better commercial on the way. I promise you. I give you my worthless word. It's on its way. But uh, but yeah, that's uh, that's everything that we have right now uh, as far as the the news. Chuck, anything to uh, to add before we get to our our first of two topics today on the show? Ah. Uh. No, I'm just, I'm glad we've got, uh, you know, a new sponsor in the bag and yeah. putting them out there. Uh, you know, if there's other companies out there that want to uh, talk to Pat, have at it. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, we're always open for that. So. And, you know, anybody wants to talk to Chuck, you know, please do that. You can contact us and, and let's... Uh, <laughs> Let's, we're we're all a team here, man. We're all a team. And as a matter of fact, you know, uh, we we got we got crazy Sean. He's in the uh, he's in the chat right now. He was the winner of the castle uh, from yeah. from Six Squared Studios. So uh, Sean, let us know how it's going, man. Let us know. I, I know that Sean, they shipped yeah, it out. Sean should be required to submit a picture of the castle on his gaming table. Okay, you know what? He's gonna have to do that. You know, hey Sean, uh, you heard it from Chuck. You're gonna have to get the pictures of that castle all done up. Or we're going to be sending Jason Moss down from Wisconsin to beat the hell out of you. And, you know, he's going to stuff cheese in places that, you know, you're going to need therapy for. Let me tell you. Yeah. Lots of therapy and surgery, probably. 
Ooh, man, that sounds that sounds like a typical Saturday night for him. All right. Well, folks, we are going to be right back. That's it. We've wrapped up the news. We're going to be right back. We're going to be talking about Chuck's take on the Build-A-Bear for Nerds, some anvil of apotheosis. So we'll be right back. A public service announcement brought to you by Frag Factory 3D Printing. Many of us have thousands of dollars in miniatures, yet we play on flat tables with books and overturned Tupperware to act as our fantasy and sci-fi landscapes. We've all drooled over the tables we see in magazines lush with beautifully created terrain from all genres. The crew at Frag Factory 3D Printing want to wipe that drool from your chin and put it firmly on your friends and fellow gamers when they see your setup. Alien landscapes, desert wastelands, futuristic cities, fantasy outposts, elven forests, demonic stronghold, and so much more. Find out what you've been missing by checking us out on Facebook at Frag Factory 3D Printing or send us an email at fragfactory3dprinting at gmail.com. Bring your own files or we will help you find what you've been searching for. Take your gaming to the next level with Frag Factory 3D Printing. We print life into your games. Tell them Grimdark Live sent you and your first hour of printing is free. Hey gang, in all seriousness, Get your terrain on the table and get it with Frag Factory 3D Printing. And remember, tell them Grimdark Live sent you and they'll give you one hour free. You can get them via email at fragfactory3dprinting at gmail.com or their Facebook page, Frag Factory 3D Printing. Frag Factory 3D Printing. Printing life into your games. All right, folks, we are back, and we're going to be looking at our first topic here tonight and discussing this, and this is going to be getting into the uh, the Anvil of Apotheosis, or as we like to call it here on Grimdark Live, the Build-A-Bear for Nerds, and, and we're going to take Chuck's take on it, man. I mean, Chuck, uh, what we have here um, on, on, I guess we have your character. Uh, we, got, we got your actual war scroll that you created uh, on this uh, for the Anvil of Apotheosis. So let's uh, let's get into this, man. Talk us through this. And of course, I got some other stuff to be showing up here on the screen, but I'm going to follow your lead, man. You tell me what uh, uh, what you, what you want to get up there, you know, first or second, and, and and I will make sure that it gets up there, man. I, I'll be your Vanna White tonight, man. What do you think about that? Let's just do uh, the War Scroll. If, yeah, if let's. That's um, yeah, so let's get into that one. Context: uh, We I did build a character that is technically. 42 points i know uh that is not uh, the exact point limit that you're supposed to to build to because they recommend 40 right uh, but i you know i i did want to you know put that out there first okay um, so is, so are you uh, over so in other words you're 420 points so you're 20 points over correct yeah okay. so it, it is so if you if there is somebody who deconstructs this guy uh and goes through um, looking to see what everything is and points it out, it is twenty points over, or well, two points over. Then, then it would be fine in a narrative. You know, really, I think I think the point structure for the most part is for the for the matched play. Yep. Right, but, but let's um, let's talk about it, man. Yeah. So you know, I went with a one-handed action shield combo. Uh, you will notice he is on a gargantuan beast. So we have the the claws and maw up there. Right. Um, the only thing i think this guy suffers from is he doesn't have a lot of damage output um i did not upgrade his to hits uh to anything like two or three plus uh the to wound value is still at a three or five which is your typical standard his rend is not very high damage output is i did not you know increase the damage output for his hand weapon at all that's still at the base one right uh, but 
Um, if you do look down there at the bottom under keywords, I did make him an acolyte. Yeah, I did, I did see that. So he's a priest. Okay. Um, so they get the Wrathful Invocation ability, which is a mortal wound uh, ability of with a range up to 18 inches. Okay. So if you start noticing on this guy, he's got that ability, um, plus Lashing Tail, which is another D3 mortal wounds. Right. Uh, so this guy is meant to get into combat and deal or dish mortal wounds, essentially. Right. Right. Um, so we do I, have like, the gobble attack, which I thought was just sort of part of that player, uh, because your star drakes get that ability as well. Where if you roll equal to or higher than the wound characteristic on a model in base contact with them, or, or within one inch, technically it doesn't even have to be within base contact, then they are removed. They are slain. Yeah. And actually, the star drake gets multiple uh, gobbles potentially. Right. Um, so then the other, go ahead. Nope, nope, nope. I, I'm, I'm, I'm interrupting you. I, I can hold my question until you're done. So then the other thing that is uh, significant on this is the regeneration ability right. and burial. So this is pretty much the only thing that would keep a low 13 wound model, which is based off what the anvil of apotheosis told me, sure. uh, would get. So he starts off at 5. And then he gets plus eight because of the gargantuan beast. Uh, the ethereal, he's going to ignore um, wound modifiers, which I may have messed up because I did give him plus one armor. And I don't think he gets that with ethereal because it's positive or negative. Uh, yeah, correct. Correct. So let me, let me, let me, let me show this here on the screen too, because I think this will help. Uh, I'll, I'll kind of explain things a little bit because you kind of have a pretty good write up here as far as, uh, how you built this thing, kind of, a, kind of as your notes. So I think, I think this pretty much explains it a little bit more concise than, than, than just the actual war scroll itself. But yeah, so, so that would be a little bit of a, of a, of a, of a thing that you'd have to alter there because you'd have to decide whether or not you wanted that or the ethereal. And Which I, the ethereal goes a little bit yes longer. It's a little bit better because you could always cast uh, the generic shield spell, which allows him to reroll ones, I believe. Uh, so that he could possibly save a few more of those wounds. You're going to want to get this thing into combat uh, as soon as possible, you know, because he is on a gargantuan beast. So, um, you know, being the fact that uh, he's got the lashing tail, you know, you got a gobble attack, so obviously you're going to want to, you know, uh, be as close to the enemy as possible. So I think I think your thinking on this was was actually pretty pretty solid. Now. Um, the one thing about uh, that, that I noticed, as far as as far as this this character is, you did make him a priest, if you will. I guess the or the acolyte is what it's called in the Anvil of Apotheosis. Yep. Now you did that to kind of uh, formulate with with the actual storm cast list that you're making with with the Templars, right? You got a bunch of Templars on Star Drakes, correct? Yes, it's a bunch of Star Drakes essentially, and he would be in that mix. You know, depending on how I build the list if i were to take the battalion or not um he would sort of fit in as a support hero but not a main general okay um and there the reason for that i believe is i'm not sure if the uh the acolyte character here would get the generic stormcast right. abilities so because those abilities like staunch defender giving plus one uh, armor save to other characters in that nine-inch range right. could apply to him because he has Stormcast and he would get the keyword, I presume. 
Uh, yeah, he should because I mean, you, well, you got the keyword Stormcast Eternals there, so I don't, I don't see why right. he wouldn't. So any, you know, so that the whole idea then is to try and get him uh, to the benefit of that. So sure. Well, I, I mean, what what you have for this guy, I think, is pretty solid, and, and that's what I love about this because you can kind of create uh, a character that is still competitive. Now, yeah, is is he going to be, uh, say, as good as you know a, a, a Templar on a Star Drake? No, probably not. Probably no. No, uh, yeah. But he could definitely kick a dent in that in that character if they were to fight it out. I would imagine. I mean, I, I like the wrathful invocation. I like the D three mortal wounds to a unit within eighteen inches. I think that's something that. Um, yeah, I mean, and the. Re- generate an ethereal like he might be able to tank it out with Mm -hmm. another character and hold a flank on his own if needed right and i can focus my efforts somewhere else yeah you know going back to that regenerate you know i was thinking about that you know to be able to roll of a four plus and heal d3 wounds is that is that better than 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 the ethereal uh boy you know Uh if it was a three plus i'd say yes isn't 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 that kind of snarky to kind of to kind of you know kind of make your decision on 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 one number and on a, on a d6 but i i think with, my character now i don't feel like i built the right thing well no well, no i mean honestly i think i think having the the ethereal is is better but i mean let's put it this way what what is the regenerate cost off the top of my head i don't remember it but what does the regenerate cost i mean two or three okay so there there's your 20 right yeah. i mean so so now see chuck i i helped you fix your character man it's a legal character now, now I it's can't it's a legal character. So, no, I think that um, – and, and, you know, let me ask you a question. So when, when you built this guy, obviously, yeah. you know, these are, I, I think these guys are going to be tough to use in a, a competitive tournament setting. Like, I, I don't think for a moment you're going to see a lot of these things as the primary source of attack. You, you know what I think? You're going to see a lot of the 20-point – the 20-pointers. I think they're called commanders and conquerors. I think you're going to see a yeah. lot of the Anvil of Apotheosis commanders at, at events like – Adepticon and LVO and all these larger major GTs, but right. I don't I don't think you're going to see a lot of the conquer type of models at least at least in in my mind not at least on, on tournaments of that level. Yeah, I think you're when you get into 350 and 400 point characters, I, I think there are going to be better options besides the custom character, the build a bear essentially, right versus you know, a Lariel or a Dracoth writer on Star Drake. You You're know? right, right, right. It's just there's there's so many other options that, you know, would give you better command abilities, better spells. They would sync with your army better. So, yeah, at, at that level, when you get to a 200-person event that's two days like Adepticon, it, yeah, you're going to probably gravitate away from this, even if it would become an option. Um, sure. Sure, but if you know your smaller events, you know twenty six to fifty, maybe you'll see a couple pop out. Well, I mean, so let's kind of go back here a little bit. I mean, I, I think it's I think it's it's relatively obvious, you know, what your inspiration was. But I know that on, on I think it was last week's show we talked about you know the inspiration for why you play a certain army or why you do things, and I think Anvil of Apotheosis is definitely all about inspiration. Kind of walk us through a little bit. You know, we kind of talked about what the what the character can do, but talk us a little bit about what inspired you to do this? Uh, you know, was it practical? You had an extra Star Drake laying around? Or did you say, you know what, I, I really wanted to build something that, that I could I could help formulate or round out my current, you know, Star Drake Templar army? Yeah, that, I mean, essentially it was trying to build out, you know, a fourth dragon 
that could operate as a support character. Sure. Uh, there are more ideal situations for your Storm Lord, on the Lord Celestine on Star Drake because he has a command ability that allows the dragons to improve their wound value or re-roll their wound, uh, missed wounds. Sure. So, you know, that's going to be better for your other characters, you know, and I didn't make him a general, I made him a, the priest, you know, so he had the acolyte keyword. And so right. I kind of missed out on those command abilities that are customizable. Um, so, you know, so moving back, you know, I could look at something like that, but I think in the, the current role, like the support character, run him on a flank is ideal in, in that situation. And I agree. I, I think, you know, e even with the acolyte thing, I mean, it, well, at least if I'm not, if I'm not misunderstanding you, it sounded like you were kind of poo-pooing the idea that you made him an acolyte. And, and I don't, I don't think that's what you were really saying, correct? No, no. I, like I ran him as an acolyte because of the portal wound ability within 18 inches. I felt that okay. that was okay. going to be key for mortal wound output Sure. as far as he went. Right. Right. I mean, you know, for, for me, what you've done, uh, you know, being the fact that, you know, he's going to be ethereal, you're going to get him into close combat. He's got the wrathful invocation where he can, he can haul out, you know, D3 mortal wounds with, uh, to a unit within 18 inches, which is, which is pretty good for, for a priest. Uh, yeah. you gave him extra armor, I think. Right. I think that's on here too. Um, right. where he gets, he gets, he gets, uh, his, he, instead of 12 wounds, he now he's up to 13. Right. So, uh, or no, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's not it. It's, uh, that's the reduce his, uh, his save. Correct. Right. Okay. Yes. All right. So you have him down to a three plus. So, yes. yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I gotta tell you, I think, I think this is going to be a, a pretty tough bastard in, uh, in, in, in close combat for sure. Um, so talk about some of the, some of the ideas, obviously you got stomp in there. You got all the old fashioned, goodies that go with a with a with a monster you got the gobble attack you got stomp and i i, I loved i love stomp uh probably I, I think i i think i might like stomp a little bit more than the gobble attack because uh to me stomp is it happens at the end of the combat phase so that right there is a psychological piece to your opponent where i think it's on a a two or a three plus i believe i think it's on a two plus in the in the book two plus, it's D3 mortal wounds, yeah. yeah 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 I mean, the, the the stomp attack in the Anvil of Apotheosis is 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 pretty darn good. So, and yes. I, and I love the fact that you have, you know, like I said, all of the, um, all the old fashioned goodies that that go with all the uh, the old fashioned monsters in there. So, have you got him in a game, or have you math hammered him, or anything like that? Oh no, no, I, I, that was just trying to build it for fun to see what I could like get out of it. Okay, and compare it to what currently is out there, and of course, you know, with the current Star Drakes that Stormcast have, with their point reductions they got, you know, it, it's tough to compare the two. I mean, obviously, the normal Star Drake is going to be better, especially with their specific weapons that they have and the special abilities. You know, I've talked about it before where, um, you know, that the axe preventing, if you attack with the axe and you strike a unit, it prevents them from piling in the complete three inches they can. So, sure. it, you know, there's always those abilities that, you know, if you can reduce the enemy's attacks, at least initially for a little bit, it would be beneficial to you in the long run. Yeah. Oh, of, of course, of course. And, you know, and, and I think, I think we're seeing a lot of the, uh, I don't want to put this. I, you know, I, it seems to me that this, that this character here would be pretty good as far as handling horde units too, I would think, you know, um, yeah, you know, and, and so with a larger base, you know, it should be able to get up into, 
uh, flank and you know engage multiple units potentially too. Yeah, yeah, and, and so um, oh, I, I think you have in here too. I think you had uh, Savage Ferocity, correct? You had that in there. So so they're, they're getting a plus one to hit for the claws and, and maw. Now yes. does that happen I, when they charge I, or I, always? It is the maw instead of the claw because I think the maw has higher rend and more damage potential. That's uh, right. You got to put it on one or the other. I forgot it. But now wait a minute. Do you have to put it on? Oh, I know what it was. So. With a, with a larger, with the gargantuan type of beast, you put that on one or the other, the claw or the maw, but then don't you get a global one to their damage output? Uh, I did not see that in the book. May, I have to go back and, and double check that. You know what? I got I got the book right here. I got the book right here, folks. Right here, right here. So we're going we're gonna to look this up here real quick, right here. So old Uncle Grimdark to the rescue. All right, let's see what we got here. Anvil of Apotheosis. So we are going to look at Savage Ferocity. Here we are, folks. If you're following a long class, it's on page 63 of the GHB 2020. Uh, there will be a test after this little quiz. So yeah, um, it says here. That's right. That's it. So, so the Savage Ferocity. Pick either the Bestial Companion's Claws or Maw. Add one to the attack characteristic for that weapon. For Gargantuan Beasts... Add one to each row of the appropriate column in the damage table. So did you did you do that, Chuck? I, I did not, uh, Professor. Oh man. I did not have columns for that. I'm so sorry. All right, you have to go see the principal now. No, so okay. so yeah, so it, let, now let's now let's go back. If we were to take a look at what you have here, uh, the, the the war scroll that's up on the screen now. Um, if we were to look at your uh, damage table, actually, you know what? The war scroll doesn't have yeah. that on there. So let's let's pull up the damage table real real quick, which we have right. Uh, do I have it here? I think I do. Yes, you do. You got it somewhere in there. Ta-da! Let me turn one of these off. So here it is. There we go. So if you think about it, what we're looking at here with this with this damage table is I'm just messing up all over the place. So you can essentially for the claws you get to go damage two and the maw now is damage D three plus one. Ah. Now you have this oh I see what you did here. You've got this guy just on a standard mounted beast, so he wouldn't get that because he's not the gargantuan beast. Okay. Okay, so if you if you go back and you look, folks, on page 62 for the Bestial Companion, you know what we're going to do on one of the shows? We're going to do this together. This will be fun. Um, the, the Gargantuan Beast, which is the, which is the largest beast you could have, uh, is that's the one that would get the additional damage profile from the Savage Ferocity. So, no, you actually, you, en you ended up doing it right, man. So, so there you go, you know. So if you want the dragon to be a mounted beast. So, but, uh, but no, I, I mean, I, I love it. And, and that's what I love about it, it is the, is the ability to, uh, create your own thing. I think it kind of, it kind of puts your own personality into the game, right? Yeah. I mean, you being a TO yourself, this is what I love about this. You being a TO yourself, you would allow this at FlatCon, right? I, I would. Yeah. I mean, I, I believe points are accosted correctly. And uh, it, it adds that uniqueness. Right. How um, <laughs> Jason Moss puts up, it's a baby Star Drake. Yes, it is. It, it's, it's like the baby Godzilla running around. You know, it's, it's just a little baby. Uh, or, or like uh, we could even do like the shark song, like Baby Shark, but it's Baby Drake. Okay, go ahead and do it. 
I'm kidding, folks. Oh, we're not going okay. to make yeah. them do it. Um, but uh, so so yeah. I mean, uh, let me ask you a question. So let's let's kind of segue this because I th- I think the character is is pretty awesome. Actually, I, I really like what you put together. I want to see it on the table though, man. Next war meet, you got to bring that. We're we're definitely getting the table. But how would you how would you manage this? Let's kind of segue this for for just a brief topic. So we got a few more minutes on this topic. Let's kind of as a TO yourself, how would you manage this for your players? Because obviously this is going to be something that's going to come up. And and FlatCon is a growing tournament. It's a very awesome tournament. How do you manage it? I think at the local level with, you know, the group with like the 10 to 12 gamers that we have with AOS, we would probably allow like a 20 point build initially. See how that goes. Uh, measure it out with the current list. You know, if somebody does take one, how do they use it? Does it get abused? Um, do they uh, quadruple an ability that another character can do? And so now they have five ways to deal mortal wounds instead of two. Uh, so you just have to kind of look out for for that. If it ran well and nobody had any major complaints, uh, maybe expand it to thirty at a larger two-day GT. But, you know, you keep it within reason and sure. uh, you don't allow someone to have like a 400 point side table dragon that they could just flip in and out so that. Um, right. Right. There are side tables to some events, but I just wanted to be have people build it into their army. So it's a, a roundabout feature that they're going to play with each time. Right. Yeah. No, and I like the way you put that. And, you know, folks, if you guys want to create one of these War Scrolls, now, again, this is this is unofficial. This is unofficial to Warhammer. This is unofficial to Warhammer Age of Sigmar. But there is a, um, there's a, there's a website called runebrush.pa uh, that, uh, that, can, that can, you know, help you create your own uh, War Scroll, just like the one Chuck has up here on the screen, uh, for your own uh, Anvil of Apotheosis, a.k.a. Build-A-Bear for Nerds character. Uh, it, it, and, and I think part of it could be where... You know, when, when the players turn in their list, you know, typically with these Age of Sigmar tournaments, right, I'm a TO myself, we want either War Scroll Builder or Azir. Though that's the only approved form. But if we were to say that uh, maybe they, they turn in something with something like, say, this unofficial Warhammer War Scroll Builder, uh, again, folks, uh, that's runebrush.pa. Maybe if they turn in something like this um, with the actual points breakdown of what they of what they put into it, I think that would be an acceptable piece if they turned that in with their list, uh, and of course accounted for those points in their list. You know, and that's if you have the breakdown, you submit it with your list. Uh, you just say, "Hey, this character, the war stroll is here, along with the point breakdown here." I multiplied everything out. It's it's presentable and clear right away. You don't right. have two tournament judges going through a point breakdown in a book to make sure it's illegal and you're not over by 10 points. That's it. That that could be a worry if people aren't prepared with, with that breakdown. Yeah. Oh, that's a good point. That's actually a great point. So last part, and since we're, since we're wrapping this portion up before we get to our next topic here on tonight's show, I mean, any advice that you have for people that want to go out there and they want to either make their own commander or conquer type of character, any advice? Definitely reread the book and make sure you're putting the appropriate damage charts in your war scrolls. <laughs> there will be a test class. It's I'm telling you right now, there will be a test. Yeah, play with the model. Make sure that it, it runs the way that you, you want it. Make sure that yep. all the rules make sense. Um, just make sure you're building it accordingly. Uh, obviously, I had like the ethereal issue with, with the armor, um, mm-hmm. with my star dragon. So... Uh, you know, make sure that that's not 
part yeah. of the issue. And, and you know, folks, um, use this because honestly, the Anvil of Apotheosis to me is the best thing in the General's Handbook 2020, without a doubt. Uh, I think what they did and uh, in, in, in coming out with that is uh, is, is the best thing. I, I love the creativity and love what you can do to build it. So, um, And I would encourage other TOs out there. It doesn't matter if you're running a little RTT, a, a GT, a, a major GT, whatever size tournament you're running. Um, allow people to use these things, man. I mean, let, let okay, yeah. Well, you know what? I, there was always that conversation of, you know, how would they implement it? Well, you know, just do it. You know, just 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 allow people to do it. Figure it out. Have them break out the points. You have the book. You'll know you'll know the points, and have them get it to you early enough so that you can vet everything. That's all. That's my only suggestion that I would say. Um, yeah, vet out. I'll make sure it's correct. Yeah, yeah. But I but I love the idea. So good stuff, man. Anything uh, anything to say before we uh, wrap this up, Chuck? No, it's good. Good deal, man. Good deal. All right. Well, coming up right after the break here, folks. Uh, we've got the. Um, we got what a difference a book makes, man. We're going to be looking at the General's Handbook 2020 and looking at the uh, the top two to three uh, armies, let's just put it that way, uh, between January and July. And then we're going to be looking at the top three now prospective armies uh, between July and the end of the year. And we're going to be taking a look at uh, what, did the, what did those armies from the first part of the year lose versus what did the armies from the, from the new part of this year, what did they gain? you know, with the new General's Handbook 2020. I mean, and, and did, did, did in fact that book have anything to do with it whatsoever? So, uh, folks, we'll be right back. Thanks. Hey, gang. I wanted to take a break in today's show to introduce one of our sponsors and a great store for all of your hobby needs, that's GameStorm Gaming in Lamont, Illinois. Open seven days a week, 12 to 12. GameStorm Gaming has got you covered for all of your hobby and gaming needs. They got Magic the Gathering, War Machine, X-Wing, Game of Thrones, Force of Will card game, PC gaming and repair, Warhammer 40K, and Age of Sigmar, and a ton more. Grab paints, brushes, cases, dice, and a lot more at GameStorm Gaming in Lamont, Illinois. Stop in and see John and the gang there at GameStorm Gaming, located at 1243 State Street, Lamont, Illinois, or check them out on their website at GameStormGaming.com. Again, that's www.GameStormGaming.com. They also stay open past midnight for special cases and events. So get over there and get your nerd on with GameStorm Gaming, 1243 State Street, Lamont, Illinois, 630-243-9330. Again, that's GameStorm Gaming, 1243 State Street, Lamont, Illinois. GameStorm Gaming is a proud sponsor of Grimdark Live. We hope to see you there. All right, we are back out of the uh, out of the break, and we are going to continue on with our uh, with our current topic, and that's uh, that's what a difference a uh, a book can make. So, something I came across on the boards. Uh, and, and it kind of interested me through, uh, it actually interested me enough to, to really talk about it, was this idea of the current meta standings. Um, this reflected, uh, I guess, um, the best way to put it was, it was, it was all kind of broken down and reflected in an AOS tier listing where a guy by the name of J.P. Gannis, or, or I think that's his name, I'm not exactly sure, created an ELO rating for, for each one of the factions. Now, uh, Chuck or anyone else, are you familiar with an ELO rating? 
No, what does ELO stand for? Uh, Electric Light Orchestra. They were a great psychedelic band in the 1970s, early 80s. No, I'm kidding with you. Uh, ELO rating is a it's a system uh, or a method for calculating the relative skill levels of players in zero-sum games like chess. So I thought it was a really clever way that this guy put the standings of these armies together using the, the an ELO rating system. And in this case, you know, Age of Sigmar obviously takes the place of chess, but I thought it was a very accurate way to... Uh, I guess break down break down those uh, those armies and those lists, and uh, but but this is but this is also a pretty simple way. It, it, it's pretty it's pretty accurate, and it really takes into account. And the way that he built this, I should say, is he takes into account uh, two thousand AOS games that were played over twenty twenty, and uh, obviously that's the first six months taken in, which he was able to predict the second half of the year twenty twenty off of. Uh, some of the things that have occurred with the new General's Handbook 2020, some of the FAQs, uh, some of the tournaments that have already happened, i.e. some of the things we already kind of looked at with Dan with AOS Shorts earlier here on the show when we did the news. Um, So in other words, the way that he broke this this list down, and uh, I'll put the first one up here. Now, again, this first one is from just January to July at this point. Um, uh, But in other words, how this is broken down is when a faction beats another faction its rating goes up or down proportional to the rating of the faction that it beat if that makes it makes sense so your typical elo uh spreadsheet for say chess tournaments and and chess rankings um uh, there is um data presented here so um uh, there's a lot of data here i guess now that i'm kind of looking at this so i kind of want to be careful about how we really talk about this because the latter part of the year because you know we're only in mid-september we still have october november and december that are going to be happening um but i thought obviously that myself i I would have a conversation here with chuck on on the top two armies from say january to july 2020 and then look at the top two um currently meaning july towards the end of the year and discuss you know what each one of them lost and gained in terms of the ghb 2020 and i'm sure that you know chuck you said you're going to try to tackle the the ones that are looking to be in in third place so prospectively we'd have a conversation about disciples of each and daughters of cain on this particular list but then you would then probably pick up and and on on idenith deepkin because there there is some there are some differences as far as where they where these say top three armies washed out between january and july to now right where they were yeah right right so you know i just wanted to touch on uh changes that happened to them and then what happened to them in the new rating exactly because yeah we obviously we're gonna have a change right with with their elo rating but right. also there were changes that happened from that ghb book and a, and a little bit of faqs that really do change where those armies end up right Right, exactly, and you know one one thing I got I got to pause here for a second. Uh, Jason Moss, I got I got a great comment here. Cheese, beer, and brats—that's what I bring to the table and the bedroom. I got to tell you, man, as as an Illini guy, I, I totally I totally agree with that logic, man. Good stuff. All right, let's get back to this, man. Enough enough messing around. So let, let's start with and let's look at the first two from January to July, or I guess we can look at the first three. Let's just do that. I'll quit saying two from January to July, 2020, and reference what made them strong. Right, so let's start with the obvious one. Disciples is each; they're in first place, right? Yeah, for a first place army. We saw a huge shift in the meta when that book was released. You're not um, kidding. And and on the list before they are uh, put at first place. Right. 
Yeah, but but I think that was a little bit more because you got to remember we still had January, February, and half of March for tournaments and things that happened before the COVID bomb hit. So, uh, but again, he was able to um, take uh, data from over two thousand games played worldwide. So he had a pretty large pool to to work with and pick from. But if we look at the first part of the year, and we look at we look at disciples as each and daughters of Cain. Um, and, and, and also Ideneth Deepkin, although I, it seems to me a little weird because their points are the same, but there must have been something that separated Daughters of Cain to, to beat out the Ideneth. Uh, but I think for time purposes, uh, we'll, we'll just go ahead and get started here with Disciples of Zeech, obviously, because, you know, they're, they're, the, they're the first place ones. Um, so my kind of opinion on that is that we, we had some changes in the GHB. Um, Pink horrors went from about 200, and 200 points to 220, so we saw a point increase. Yep. yep. The Gaunt Summoner had an FAQ to him, right. where instead of summoning 10 horrors, he only summoned 5. 5, which right. Which wasn't even a complete unit, so they mm. can't cast spells. Right. Flamers went from 120 to 140. Sure. Which, again, is a dent in many builds, because we saw uh, multiple issues at TanCon uh and warhammer world in march and most likely games workshop either didn't predict that or didn't see it to fruition sure. when they released that book right right i believe they got like multiple top 10 placements you know yeah uh, like three or more but yeah yeah um, the changeling also went from 120 to 140 points i not forgot a, about the changeling not a big impact but significant it, it's it's another character that got deemed yeah right and, you know, it's funny. There, there's an old saying about Disciples is Each that says, uh, you know, well, that, that, that I forget how it goes now. And I'm going to have to remember it here now. But, but I think it says something about Disciples is Each. Uh, the, there, are, um, there, there, are, there are two things, spells and acting. As far as playing Disciples Each, now it's coming back to me. Uh, that, that the army itself is all about two things, spells and acting like you know what you're doing. And um, it's kind of an insult, I think, but I but I've heard that uh, reference reference to to Zeech many times. Try to remember it. Um, but I, I think I think the obvious things like you were touching on with Zeech that that hurt them coming out of uh, the the old General's Handbook was obviously the FAQ that that clipped them a bit. Now, when you brought up yep. the Gaunt Summoner of Zeech, um, you know his Book of Profane Secrets. You know, it's funny. I got to be honest with you. And I've, I've said this before on the show. I saw more Slaves of Darkness people playing the Gaunt Summoner of Zeech than I did a Zeech player. Like, you know, I, I never really saw them playing him. But I could see where in those cases that you had a Gaunt Summoner, you know, being the fact that, that, that you basically neutered uh, a unit of pink horrors, not being able to cast their magic and really do what they're, what the, the other half of what they're good, good at. Um, yeah, I could see where that could have hurt some of the lists. Uh, I also think the Master of Destiny, you know, this one I think is one of those innate little changes uh, that, that happened uh, in the FAQ that a lot of people, a lot of, that's a, I call that a tabletop gripe. And and, and, and I'm going to kind of summarize it. I'm not a Zeech player, but I've heard my friends, my buddies that are Zeech players complain about this, where this is, uh, the Master of Destiny is where you roll nine dice and bank them as Destiny dice. Uh, and, and see, back then, sixes are or were most useful for, uh, you know, you'd have, they would affect mostly Skyfires. And because what they got rid of was the rule where um, 
if you have Zang, if you had a Zangor shaman nearby, you know, with your skyfires, fives can be used, you know, along with sixes. Well, I think I think you know just that separation there, where now you take that away, and you know you're only able to to roll on the sixes for uh, for that master of destiny. You know, I think I think that um, that pigeonholed him a little bit. Also, I think there was something else with the uh, with the single destiny die, where if you rolled a d6 and it was a four, which then you could you could. Uh, you could sacrifice one of the dice, something like that. I think there was a change there where uh, it, 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 where the four already guaranteed or something like that, a successful casting of demonic power, uh, which was nice. But I think that's been nerfed too. I don't think you can do that anymore. So, yeah. Um, so I, I think I think there were a lot of things that that happened from the function of the Zeech army and the FAQs. Uh, I, I know there were changes to the paradoxical shield. You know, uh, the FAQ changed that when that was where a, a player was able to reroll uh, dice once, so that those natural ones um, do not have to be rerolled if they if they succeed right. after yeah. the reroll. That yeah, got nerfed. Right, right. Now all rerolls occur before applying modifiers, so it looks like the the shield requires you to reroll only if the unmodified die would 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 have been succeeded. So uh, it, it, it gives you a good place uh, to spend your threes and fours from, from the Destiny pool, but I, I think that was, uh, that was definitely, definitely a nerf that I think hurt the Zeech army overall. Um, what were some other ones out of Zeech? I know there was quite a few. Zeech kind of got, hen, no, no pun intended, they got, they got henpecked like a bird. You know, they got, they got, got henpecked to death in the FAQs. So, and I would also like to point out that, you know, in our charts that AOS has supplied for us so graciously, or uh, that the the ones that you have that right. Zen actually went from first place to seventh place overall. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was sixth, but yeah, seventh. Yeah, 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 right. Yeah, we're we're gonna be looking at that. they really dropped. Yeah, and that's what I mean. You know, I I think I think a lot of their spells, uh, like like the Treason of Zeech, you know, that got a nerf. I, I it can't damage the last model in the unit anymore. So uh, you know, it's not bad against larger hordes. Uh, but if you have a Gaunt Summoner in your army um, already, you know, this is, you know, pretty much significantly worse. So that was a big one. I think the FAQ, um, you know, uh, I think the FAQ'd that one, I believe. Uh, I think I think um, only one lore can be taken with that one, with the, with the, with the spell. Uh, so not one from each lore of the table. So I think that also kind of stifled their abilities there. Um, you know, and, and there, was a, there was a ton of them. I know that... Um, a lot of Zeech players back in the day took a lot of endless spells. You know, uh, you, you saw a lot of the Soul Scream Bridges, the Bailwind Vortexes, the Malevolent Maelstorm, the, the, uh, the, the Soul Seeker uh, spell. But I think when you're limiting the list to three uh, uh, endless spells in a, in a 2K list, I think that impacted this army significantly because they, they kind of relied on their ability to throw a lot of those endless spells out there. Um, yep. and, but I think, and, but, but practically... Uh, on the practical side, the reality part, I think once you um, once you kind of take away a lot of the innate things that that as, as each army was able to do, I think players leaned uh, into the fact that that their army really can't take a hit. I mean, if you think about it, the, the, this is a glass cannon army, and um, when, when when your models aren't able to stand up to you know prolonged punishment, uh, you know you know your units go from from bad to pretty bad real quick. And I think that's also something else that happens. You know, Zeech always had that ability to kind of buffer themselves from close combat. And when you got a lot of deep strike armies like Orc War Clans and other armies like that that can get into your into your beak, so to so to so to speak, um, 
they're not really going to see so on the practical side on the table, you know, with their fives and six plus saves, there's not a lot they can do. So I, I think that definitely hurts each as well. Um, and that's probably why they're in sixth or seventh place for sure. Yep. So daughters of Cain, let's look at that one. I mean, these guys were second coming out of the previous general's handbook. So unlike Zeech, yeah. daughters of Cain took a, a pretty big hit. If you look at the points values, I believe they're second place before COVID-19 and after the GH2020, they are about 15th or 16th. Yeah. So, you know, I don't think that they, unless there's some uh, some type of FAQ that, that hit them harder, uh, they really only had nominal point increases. Right. Uh, it's a slight nerf. I think the Hag Queen, which was probably the more common leader, uh, she went up 10 points. Right. Um, to 100 points now, yeah. Took a, went down about 10, but from like the competitive standpoint before, they were in a pretty good place, and I wouldn't have thought that they would have taken that big of a hit coming out of GHB 2020. Well, in earlier lists, going back to the Hag Queen, earlier list, I saw many folks running two Hag Queens. Um, you know, now, I think because of that 10-point bump, uh, you know, in AOS 2, you only see that one. And, and before, two Hag Queens were, were mandatory in, in pretty much any Daughters of Cain list. And I think their points, you know, going up by that 10 points, making them 100 points now. Uh, I, I still think the Hag Queen, however, even though you only are going to see one in many lists, arguably is probably one of the best heroes in the game. I will, I will give that character that. But I think that slight little bump in the 10 points did wonders to kind of uh, stifle the army's ability. But one thing I was going to say before you jumped in was unlike Zeech, I don't think the Daughters of Cain, like you were saying, I guess I'm agreeing with you uh, now that I go back and I think about what you said, um, yeah. were, I don't think they were affected much by this past FAQ as they were necessarily like what we're talking about here in the General's Handbook 2020 with the points increases. You know, um, the Daughters of Cain were kind of always that that interesting play style. From a practical play style standpoint, you know, they, they, they really don't play well with others. You know, you don't see a lot of Daughters of Cain players allying them into other armies or taking allies from other armies. You might occasionally see Aidaneth Deepkin in there in an army like that, the Eels, but that's even doubtful. Yeah. And Well, I, well, and I think the, the issue with Daughters of Cain is that it, it's such a standalone book on its own, and it requires, you know, your three to five heroes, your blood rack, your shrine, your multiple hag queens like it did before. Maybe you only, you only have points one. But it, it takes a specific combination of running one or two styles of the list in order for it to be basically effective. Right, right. And, and kind of where I was rounding, rounding around from, from your first comment with the with the Hag Queen, I mean, Daughters of Cain are an incredibly reliant on their own faction abilities to, to turn them from a bunch of expensive, fragile units with, you know, some, some pretty good, pretty good close combat uh, oh, abilities. Sure into a unified army. And I think the Hag Queen did that. So by removing one of the Hag Queens, I think, I think you stifled that ability. So I think that hurt them. I mean, um, well, and I think the Hag Queen, her command ability or, or trait was, you know, one unit within three inches could, I don't know, reroll failed to wound rolls or something like that. So to your point, if you're going to run the larger hordes, like they have in a daughter's army, right. you know, you two or three units of 30 witch elves, which I know they're not called witch elves anymore. But whatever, um, you need those characters to throw the buffs around. Oh, you yeah, you absolutely do. Because of the short range. Yeah, yeah, you absolutely do. You absolutely do. And and but, but I think I think that's an interesting part to make because just little tweaks like that I think massively affected uh, oh, right. the daughters yeah, of yeah. Cain. 
and and unlike unlike where Zeech had some identifiable you know kicks in the gut, where yeah. we we I mean I think we rattled off what seven eight different things that happened to Zeech just between one book and an FAQ. Now though, with with Daughters of Cain, it's just a, just a couple of things, two three little smattering little things, a point change here, different things like that, and and the wheels kind of come off of that. And I think I think that's what's frustrating to a lot of Daughters of Cain uh, players out there, you know, personally. So, um, but but let's let's move on and kind of talk a little bit about uh, you know the the third place one here, and that's that's the Ideneth Deepkin because this one kind of shocked me because if you looked at the way the points were laid out. Uh, Yes. They were identical. They were both 2450 to Daughters of Cain. There must have been something static that caused them to, you know, be in third place. But this one, to see where where Ida Deepkin uh you know, they 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 pretty well they they dropped down to uh fourth, fifth, I think, you know, coming in from from fourth, the July yeah. standpoint. And we're going to yeah, get into that here in a minute. We're going to show you the next list here. But let, let's talk about that a little bit. I mean, what was what was kind of their swan song into this? Uh, well, I mean, essentially, after GHB 2020, they had points drops for Thralls, mm-hmm. the Achillean King, Lotan, the Soul Ledger, Alternos, and the Namardi Reaver. So um, it, it's a, a bit of, you know, nothing. I mean, they really got just a tad bit better with some of their units. You know, on the surface, it didn't appear that the popular list really gained a whole lot or lost a whole lot eels really are unchanged at that point you know yeah yeah They're, you know in, in the last winter and that's I, the most popular popular unit i think the eels oh by far absolutely i mean they, they might take some of the the uh the thralls with uh with the screening abilities and things like that but i think for the most part eels are, are where it's at but you know if you remember yeah. in the previous winter faq uh, the, the that whole eel, that original eel army took a big nerf. You know, a lot of people had to switch up their list because they raised the points on the on on the eels, and so they've been kind of. When I say they, I mean GW. They've been kind of mucking with this army for for a while, I think. Um, and I got to tell you, you know, I, in looking at what the army is now, uh, I think it's pretty fairly balanced. I know that there's a lot of Ident Deepkin players out there that probably just have flipped me off, but I, I think GW may have gotten it right on this army finally. I mean, let, let's let's put it this way. I, I think I think I think unlike Zeech being completely robbed at gunpoint, I think uh, uh, you know Daughters of Cain just just having a few poisonous tweaks to their to their list. I think what's going to happen, you're going to see you're going to see the the Ident Deepkin rebound. I believe. Once the players of that army kind of get their kind of catch their breath a little bit and start getting caught up, and other tournament data starts coming out after this whole COVID fiasco, is what I think yeah. is going to happen. So yeah, and really end up on top. I mean, they may bump up a couple one spots. Sure, you know? sure, yeah. So we'll have to definitely uh, see with that. But let's let's move on to the latter, the second part of this year, uh, and and before we really kind of start digesting. Uh, this let's look at the so let's kind of digest where we where we were at from where we're at so we know that Zeech falls to seventh place or whatever um, and daughters of Cain are they even shown on the new list I don't I don't think they are but I think I think you said they were somewhere around fifteenth or something like that correct yeah they they took uh, they took the death. okay uh, but but yeah I mean you know they're uh, they're 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 significantly worse than than Zeech which I find kind of interesting. Um, but now let's look at really the Karajan Overlords, uh, Seraphon, and, and Fire Slayers. Now this this setting, as far as where Fire Slayers are set right now, really shocked me because I, I think there's 
if I can kind of get Fire Slayers out of the way first, if we can kind of start with the third one and maybe do a Quentin Tarantino and, and yeah. kind of work our way back up. But I think there's a practical side to the Fire Slayers. I think they're a very expensive army to play. I think there's a bit of the pay-to-play aspect of the Fire Slayers. And yeah. I think a lot of people can't afford them. I think you don't see a lot of Fire Slayers armies out and about, um, especially not the builds that requires to be um, competitive. You know, but what I do think is interesting is in the top three, you have two dwarven armies. So, so what, what's your, what's well, your take I, on where you, Seraphon, what did they gain? What made them? So the, I think the hearth guard berserkers are one of those key units that are, are taken in multiple lists. Sure. Uh, the fire slayers themselves, I, I don't think they really got nerfed in the FAQ or in any of the edits. So the magma drop character was slightly decreased by 10 points. Mm -hmm. uh, the Berserkers got a maximum unit size uh, drop from 30 to 20, but that was back last year. And uh, it was a 10-point price hike for one of the Lord's Lodge, but that's, I mean, it's a popular battalion, but, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's just not, not a lot of changes. So I don't know if this is just uh, they had a higher representation in the first like three months in those tournaments that he took data from but i just don't see it i mean what are your thoughts well this is this this is a strange thing like i said i i i'm i'm i question this a little bit not that i question necessarily the data but you see for me fire slayers have always had a very strong representation they have a ward save they have reach they do mortal wounds uh right. they have mobility so it, it's a big, a little bit of a head scratcher to me that even, you know, even if we were to real quick kind of go back and, and flash and look at the, uh, the, the list from the first part of the year. I mean, if you look at where fire slayers are at, they're one, two, three, four, they're fifth down. So and my, my question is, you know, how did they, how are they able to move up essentially two spaces to the third spot? What, what did they gain? And that's, well, that's why I, I'm kind of asking you because honestly, uh, I didn't really see what they gained. I don't know if it's necessarily they gained anything, because I think we've just identified, you know, the four things that did happen to them in the FAQ were really minimal. Right. But when you have Daughters of Cain take changes and Zench get whacked with a stick, and probably people get irritated about that, and they just toss their army and sell it, like we said before, yeah. Fire Slayers will naturally move up that ladder. Right. Yeah, yeah, uh, it, it's uh, it's very true. I mean, um, uh, so I, I think I think that's I think we're seeing that. I, th I think maybe fire slayers are are uh, winning due to a circumstance, due to due to others other shortfalls by by other armies yeah. like daughters of Cain and, and Zeech, for instance. Um, but let's go to the other dwarven army. Let's go right back to the top here and start with the with Ko the Karajan Overlords. On the list, baby. So, <laughs> so so we got the General's Handbook 2020, and yeah. you know I got to be honest with you. The, this book, GHB 2020, this was like Christmas for the Karajan Overlords. You want to talk about an army when it first came out. It stumbled out of the gate. It was a weird release. Nobody knew what the hell to do with it. And you want to talk about slipping on a banana peel and falling in a pile of Christmas. That's exactly what the Karajan Overlords have done here. I mean, we're seeing a lot of extra gun haulers on, in, in a lot of lists, and I think that's definitely helping them out. I mean, what else is there really to say? I mean, this army can alpha shoot and then go yeah. mop up what's left in melee. I think one of their most popular skyports is that Barak Zilfin or whatever it's called. 
Uh, you yeah. see that in a ton of lists, and that's damn near overpowered in itself. Um, but I think the secret sauce to this army is the innate abilities it gets. I think that's where this army shines probably more so. And what I mean is, you know, uh, each Karajan Overlord's hero, Sky Vessel, and Karajan Overlord's unit with, with 10 or more models, they start the battle with 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 one share of this with one extra share of this uh, this ether gold, which is you know something that they really need throughout throughout the game. I mean, once per phase, uh, you can say that one unit from your army that has any shares of ether gold will spend one of them, and if you do that, you can subtract one from that unit's bravery characteristic for the rest of the battle. But you can pick a triumph. That's what I mean. That is eligible to use um, and immediately applies its its effects to that unit. You can ignore restrictions on a triumph that say it, it, it can only be used once per battle if you uh, pay to use it with that share of ether gold. So they have these uh, innate little abilities that I think they can take advantage of that a lot of armies can't, like fly high. You know, we're seeing a lot of the actually gun haulers in, in these units. Sky vessels can can get this. I mean, basically this is a, a retreat and a, and a disengage and if you do this you can remove this model from the battlefield and set it up again anywhere on the battlefield more than one inch from any terrain feature or objectives and more than nine inches from any enemy models you 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 have you have you effectively have a redeploy alpha strike type of combination thing here that's happening with this army uh yeah and no other army currently at this point can duplicate no no i mean and 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 let's get into some of the supports of those big boats the hitchers they call it uh the engine the the enron masters and the enron riggers i mean uh i think they're within six or three inches those units are of a friendly sky vessel they can i think it's three okay uh someone help me if it's three or six i'm not i think you're right it might might be three it might i don't know it doesn't matter but it's within three to six inches maybe uh Immediately before that sky vessel uses its fly high ability, you can say that this that this unit will hitch a lift instead of making a normal move. So now, if you think about it, you're you're relocating this this unit, but you could be taking a whole unit of engine riggers with them. Are 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 you serious? That's a big deal. And and I think yeah. these these army this army can take advantage of those things pretty much like no other. Um. What's the other and one? Just think of what board control that poses. Exactly. For your opponent, like if I'm playing a, a foot slogger army, or mm-hmm. even if it's got cav to it with movement eight or nine, if you can pop on and off, or you've got three of these vessels going at one time, you have so much more board control than a high majority of the armies that are out there. Exactly. Um, I really am not sure, besides maybe Seraphon with the teleporting abilities. Uh, as to what uh, what else can sort of keep up with that without having to burn command points left and right for extra movement. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what, what's another one? What about Spell in the Bottle? That, that's another one. I mean, uh, yeah. this one itself, I mean, you can pick one endless spell. Again, pick one endless spell. Any endless spell can be chosen. All restrictions are ignored. But you must pay... Uh, I think it's any points required for the model. Once per battle, the bearer can automatically cast that endless spell. They don't have to roll a 2d6. They don't have to do it. And it cannot be unbound just by using the spell in the bottle. I mean, this this is uh, how these players, I would imagine these these KO players, they, they, they probably sneak in the, you know, probably most powerful endless spells in the game into their lists. Sure. And, and, and bingo, They're, you know, that that's it. They don't even have to... They don't even have to roll for it. So that's what I mean. I think this army, with a very 
astute player with all of its innate little abilities, man, I don't know. I, I, I'm thinking Karaj and Overlords are going to stay at number one for a long damn time. And I, I am shocked to even hear myself say that. Well, and look at the point difference between Overlords and then the bottom two, three, or four. Oh, They're yeah. standing at 2,800 points. Mm-hmm. So there's that higher percentage. It may only be a couple percentage points, you know, for equivocal players playing each other. But they're 150 higher than even Seraphon. Exactly. Yeah. And, 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 and uh, yeah. And I think there's a lot of reason for that. I mean, there, there's, I mean, yeah, but, but even being higher than Seraphon, which, which leads us into this, the second place there, Seraphon. I mean, I, I think, I think Karaj and Overlords are pretty self explanatory, dude. I just kind of jumped the gun too early on that one. You should start buying Overlords right now. There you go. I mean, but, but. <laughs> So let's let's actually look at this. So walk me through Seraphon here. I mean, Seraphon. If, if I were to go back and I were to look at the old list, and again, I'm going to do this to everyone and annoy everyone. If I were to go back to the the first part of the year, Seraphon yeah. aren't in a very good spot. I mean, so how? What was their? I mean, what was their skyrocket up to second place? Well, Seraphon weren't even on the chart exactly. For the- 21 factions, and now they're second place with 2650 in points. Right. Um, they had no significant changes as the book came out in March. Right. Uh, and, you know, from what I understand, Croak is a pretty crazy character on a Bailwind Vortex. Yeah. Uh, what builds did you see at your tournament? You know, uh, um, Offhand, I can't remember, but they they were the typical they were the typical croak they were, they were the typical uh, builds they 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 there, had yeah, the slons they had the, the the skinks all over the place there was a lot yeah. of uh, I, I think I think one person had a couple of the uh, the, the the turtles the laser beam turtles uh, in there so uh, but but for the most part they were your typical run of the mill Seraphon lists and I mean we always knew Seraphon were going to be good I think I think Seraphon as a side note have one of the worst terrain rules ever. Um, I think where, you know, where your opponent gets the opportunity to set up your, your terrain piece anywhere in the table, if they win a die, a, a D six roll or something like that. Yep. Uh, I think that's one of the worst, but honestly, um, I, I looked, I tried to research, you know, the only thing I came up with on Seraphon that they benefited from that, that launched them to this, this second place was the fact that I think a lot of other armies lost their little, I'm going to say, I'm going to use the phrase again, in innate little tricks. I think being pulled back into their own battle tomes again, losing a lot of the endless spells and a lot of the realm specific spells that were in specific realms. I think a lot of things caused them to kind of, uh, elevate. And, and, um, I, I think a lot of players out there saw an opportunity to dig this army off the shelves and start, and start getting some games in with it. And, and, and it attracted the points attention, really. I know that's kind of a goofy way to put yeah. it, but that's kind of my two cents in a tin can of where this thing transpired, how we got to where, where we did. So, so, and there was another couple things that are still a little like not sketchy, but they haven't like really clarified the rules on because this book was, you know, really so recent with that terrain piece. Um, such as like having a skink unit of 40 be able to like appear within so many inches, uh, shoot at a unit and then, and then disappear attack with three different attack profiles and then get teleported away. Right. Um, your two engines of the gods, you can run multiples of those and have, you know, still have that high mortal wound 
output when needed. So you can laser something to right. death. And then there was another combo, I think, with Probe. If he's on the Billwind Vortex, he gets up to five spells and six inches added on to each one. Mm-hmm. So just those abilities that are spammable, you know, across multiple types of armies, not depending on, you know, what, uh, what are they? The Starborn versus Coalesce, like, like the sub right. factions that you, yeah, you right. know, like you were trying to get onto. Mm-hmm. Um, they still have their Boundless and Spells, Troglodon buffs, and um, sub-faction and command abilities that you can still pick from. They remain largely unchanged, and then if they're not going to change it when the GHB 2020 comes out, people are going to play those new lists without other people having options. Sure. So. Right. Now, let me kind of throw something at you. You know, obviously, there's a portion yeah. of this list that's a prediction, right? When we, you know, the, the, he's already talking about, you know, the, the, the GHB to, up until today. So let's just say, you know, you know, today's date, you know, September 17th. But do you see through the remainder of the year, you know, going through October, November, and December, the next three and a half months, do you see the standings pretty much staying the way they are? Do you think it's going to be Courage and Overlords, Seraphon, and Fire Slayers, you know, first through third? Do you think it'll remain that um, way? I think, I think Overlords and Seraphon will stay there, but I think Fire Slayers will slowly bump down. Uh, I do believe Ideneth, Deepkin, and Stormcast Eternals will give uh, Overlords and Seraphon a run for their money for the top two spots. Yeah, I, I think so too. Do you think do you think Zeech is ever going to rebound? Um, I, I don't. I think they're going to kind of remain a middle tier, like B plus army at this point. I, I think they had their run. Um, you know, I think a lot of those changes to horrors and all that and flamers were just an initial drop in the bucket to maybe either sell models or get rid of inventory for what they had. You remember back in the day with like sixth or seventh edition when demon princes became the thing for chaos and you could customize it it would have yeah, like a, right. a two up save with an amulet and it would have a five up uh ignore save and it would just take you know a hundred shots to kill one of them or 50 i do but remember that I, you know that was one of those things to try and get the demon princes off the shelves you know release the book change the rules and get people to buy in paint gw is still a business yeah we got to remember that oh yeah yeah totally and i bought like three of them during that time so it was great i think we all did uh, i don't even think i was a chaos player but i think we all did at that time. We all have that problem. We buy a miniature painted and then we don't use it. We're all we're all just junkies, man. So yeah, so that, that I mean I think that's a I think that's a good place to kind of leave it. I mean that's kind of what, what we saw and, and I thought the way that this list was put together was pretty clever and, and I didn't really want to really get down to the minutiae of like like I say all, yeah. every single army on this list because we could be here till, you know, next week. I know, we covered six. Yeah, but but you uh, know, I, I like the idea of trying to speculate on what say one group of armies lost. And what did one other group gain in just yes. the difference that a book can make? You know, I, I thought that was kind of a, a cool way to look at this list. So good stuff. Anything else to uh, add before I, we wrap this one up? I do want to add in there. Like, I think Stormcast are going to be um, one of the top competitors. Um, they had about 22 or more uh, point changes in their favor in the GHB 2020. Um, True. The, the, the yeah. spam with, like, the little birds... I think that's going to be an issue Aether moving wings, yeah. forward. Yeah, that's uh, right. Yep. And then, oh my goodness, there was another one. Uh, their damage output with some of their builds got a little bit better too, like mortal wound output and that. So. Right. And you know, I think too, what you're going to see that's going to help the Stormcast is a lot of these uh, Lumineth Realm Lord archers 
that can be yes. taken in a stormcast list and obviously they're better than than stormcast shooting uh yep. they you know they don't need line of sight and you know i think it's sixes they do mortal wounds and all this kind of stuff uh you're going to see those guys safely tucked away in a nice you know heavily armored stormcast list and that's going to make stormcast you know you know, move up probably quite a few spots from from where they're sitting right now, which is what fifth place I think is, is where the predicted stance is to this to this date. So, um, yep. we'll have to see. You know, we'll we'll definitely have to see. But uh, but folks, we're at that point of the show, man. We got the question of the day coming up uh, right after this. Be right back. Hey, gang! I really hope you're enjoying the Grimdark Live show so far. Thanks for being with us. But before we get to the question of the day, I want to ask you to head over to GrimdarkLive.com to enter the Nerd Bunker by becoming a supporter of the show on Patreon. There are six different levels to fit the support you may be interested in and all provide special benefits and services to our members. So please head over to GrimdarkLive.com and become a patron of the show. And while you're on GrimdarkLive.com, you should know that Grimdark Live isn't just there for entertainment. We're a full-time miniatures assembly and painting service. We have three different levels that we currently paint to, and we provide free quotes. So let us know if you have something you need painted, and we'll get it done for you. And if Patreon or painting isn't something you're ready to do at this time, we totally understand. And thank you for spending time with us here on Grimdark Live. So with that said, let's get to the question of the day. All right, folks, we are back, and we are going to be getting into the question of the day. And if you guys heard the question of the day towards the top of the show, then you guys have your answers already ready. But we're going to re-ask it right now for anybody that's just joining us right now. So so here it is, Chuck. We're going to throw this one at you and everyone else. So, so I'm going to repeat the question. Here it is. Will the Dogs of War aspect of Sons of Behemoth ruin the uniqueness of the army, or will it simply open them up to a broader group of gamers that may not have played them otherwise? What are your thoughts? So my thought process with, with this, and, I, and I've sort of talked about it before on other shows and uh, been an outspoken proponent for them because I do support them. Um, for those people who, you know, like the model, they're going to buy it. Right. They're going to use it across platforms. But I think having them as an ally for multiple armies across the AOS universe um, is going to open it up for more players to involve it and include it in their list right the the one break like just you know if you pump your brakes really quick um that players are going to be looking at is is this model playable with my current build and what i mean by that is that if you have a close combat army uh whether it be msu whether it be horde um whatever how can you fit it in best? Because the models are about 480 to 490 points. Right. That's a big chunk. Right. I mean, that's 25 to 33% of your army if you're playing 1,500 to 2,000 points, right? Right. Yeah, and, exactly. And you got to think that that opponent is going to want to take that giant out as soon as possible. So you're, it's most likely going to be run as a large target, I think. Yeah. Many builds. That's that's a really good point. I mean, there's always the thought that this thing could be, you know, uh, an SMT, otherwise a, a slow-moving target uh, yeah. on the tabletop. Um, 
you know, I, I think I think it's gonna I think it's gonna open them up to and, and invite in a new crop of gamers. I think the allurement of having an army, and I don't really necessarily think it's going to. I think there might be a few people out there that, for fun and giggles, might actually put together an all giant army, Gargan army. But I don't really see that either happening on a big broad scale in the community, and I don't see it having a staying power in the community. Meaning, right? I don't think you're gonna see a lot of Gargan armies playing on and on and on and on and on. I, don't, I just don't see that happening. Um, but I think, I think it's going to take some of those other, other gamers, those other people that maybe are on the fence or they're not sure about the game. They might say, you know, I can take my death army and I can put a big Gargan in my death army and I could, you know, I could make it look like a big, you know, zombie giant or something like that. And I think that's going to bolster the excitement in the game for a lot of those players. So I think it's going to happen in a different way. I, I, rather than getting people in that are going to be playing these, these all Gargan armies, I think you're going to have people that are going to be getting them. Uh, solely to bolster their army and, 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 as I said before, open them up to a broader group of gamers that, that might not have played them otherwise. I, I think that's what's going to happen. You're, they're going to be a onesie, twosie type of a type of well, an army. Well, and how did your, like, Titans walk? Your Knights. I mean, the Knights worked out as a standalone game on their own mm-hmm. first, then got rules to be included into the actual 40K game. Right, right. right. Well, the, the little bit that I can, I can compare it to Knights from the little bit of my knowledge in 40K... Knights still have a, you know, I I think one thing that helped Knights was a smaller table board. Uh, Obviously, Age of Sigmar doesn't have that. Um, I think there's uh, some of the things with Knights with their, with the new blast rule with, you know, the rapid fire battle cannon. I think that helps with, with horde control. But, you know, you you have to go into playing Knights and it's a different, a little bit of a different game, right? I mean, you got laser guns versus, you know, sword and shields, but uh, Knights in 40k, I think, respond better to that game, even though they're not going to be top tier. You're going to struggle with that army because of the obje- it's still an objective-based game. But I think they were. I think Imperial Knights, Chaos Knights, respond better in a game like 40k than at this point. The, the limited peek behind the curtain of what we know about Gargants are going to respond to a game like Age of Sigmar because for right for all we know, they're not going to have. Uh, a weighted value on an objective, like say, uh, you know, a, a, a frost lord and a stonehorn has, or an ogre has, like the ogre maw tribes in general have. I don't think that we don't we don't know if they're going to have that or not. We also don't know that they're going to have any type of regen like a trogoth would, or the, or that they're going to have any type of ward save uh, like a daughters of Cain army would. Um, so we have no idea. They they for all we know they could be 15 right. wounds at a five plus save, and there you have it. They could just be these big dummies that that die pretty quick. So. We don't really know that, and I think I think they're going to fall somewhere in the in the periphery of all of those things I just talked about. So I think they're going to be that that unit that people add into their army. I think that's going to bolster that excitement from other gamers. But I think overall, I think I think it's apples and oranges. I think the knights yeah, respond I, better than the without Gargans knowing their their profile. I mean, I think we can reliably say that they're not going to have a regeneration save. Um, I think they will have some type of uh, brush-off save, like a mortal wound save, or uh, they just ignore wounds on like a 5-up, because they're so powerful, they just don't care. Uh, The other thing I think that would be interesting is if they had uh, some type of special movement ability, like they could come off the field on a flank, they move 10 to 12 inches instead of like the normal 8, or or something like that. They could step over uh, terrain that was, that is impassable, that's like under four inches tall. Something like that, where they're sure. just jumping over buildings. Right. Like, that would make it sort of interesting, and especially in the 
or they see over top of anything. Or they could pick so up they... and destroy terrain. That would be incredible. <laughs> right, right. Well, I mean, there's one that's like the Gatebreaker or something, right? I mean, I, I, his name all of a sudden is failing me now, which he probably shouldn't be. But, uh, but there, yeah, there's. I mean, he should be able to pick up a piece of terrain and throw it at you, which would be absolutely freaking hysterical. Yep. So. Yep, and then, the, like, the War Stomper, yeah. um, he would just... You know, on a four up, he does a mortal wound to any unit of 20 models or more if he's in base contact with it. He would be like your, uh, the stomp right. guy. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, we're going to have to see, but I, but I think, I think it's going to be a, a positive, but I think it's going to be a positive in what a lot of people initially thought. I think, I think that it's going to, it's going to open up a broader group of gamers to step into the hobby and maybe have one Gargan for their army or maybe one Gargan for each of their armies. Maybe they got a order, death, destruction, chaos type of an army. Um, so we're really going to have to see, but I think, uh, I think it's going to be interesting and fun regardless, but I don't, I don't see an all Gargan army being very competitive. I, I, I just don't see that at this, at this point. That's it, man. That's the uh, question of the day. And it looks like I got the closing thoughts, uh, this week. So you're gonna have to listen to me blather on towards the end of the show here. So I'm going to, I'm going to get rolling with that one. Wait a minute. What the hell is that? What's going on? Now, it's time for that part of the show where we present the rules from hell. <laughs> yes, that's right, Grimdark Goons. It's time for the rules from hell, where we present the game rules from the past or present of the Warhammer worlds that just sucked. Here it is, gang. A Warhammer rule from hell. Let's face it. Sometimes we, the players, are the hell to the rules. So listen up here, you short-pants little demons. We're pointing our fingers right back at you for getting the rules wrong and making these rules hell on the tabletop. Models with a random number of attacks generate their number of attacks before deciding targets. For example, a Chaos Spawn, which gets 2d6 attacks, finds out how many attacks they get and then they assign their targets. This is a common error, error often overlooked by TOs that are running events. So this could definitely be a rule from hell. And now you know a rule from hell. <laughs> All right, let's get back to the show. So uh, what a show, right? I mean, uh, if, if you guys have listened to uh, the show thus far, uh, if you've made it this far and haven't fallen asleep or, you know, you know, you know, gotten, gotten some kind of an alcohol or drug habit just to numb yourself from having to listen to Chuck and I blather on, you know, you've heard us talk about really a lot of things. You, though, right? That's it. You've heard us talk about a lot of things in the hobby. You've had you've looked you had us look at you know uh, different rankings of where armies sat. You know we asked poised poised questions as far as where do we think a new army, the Gargans, are going to stand when they come in. You know we we looked at the Anvil of Apotheosis, aka the Build a Bear for Nerds, and I I hope that kind of gave you an idea of how excited we are about the hobby and where Age of Sigmar is. You know you're going to play armies like I do. You're going to play Beast of Chaos, uh, and you know what. You're, you're going to have an army that's going to be very unforgiving. But that doesn't mean that, you know, you have to be that meta chaser. You know, there's an aspect of this game that's competitive, and I think you can't ignore that. But I think you also have to understand is what are you getting out there and doing? Do you enjoy the hobby, the whole enchilada? And, and when you look at it, the excitement of what we're getting, the excitement of where the hobby is at, the different sub-games like Warcry, the new release coming out for Underworlds, you know, this is a great time to be a gamer. This is a great time to be in this. And, you know, we've had a time a dry spell since about March 13th where we've had COVID. 
But have you used that time wisely? Have you painted your armies? Have you gotten it ready? You know, and we're already seeing game storms or game stores like GameStorm, our sponsor, uh, filling up and getting getting people back in there. We're having a war meet this Saturday where we're going to have probably upwards to 10 to 12 people uh, there to roll some dice. And and yeah, we'll we'll have masks on. We'll be doing all that, you know, responsible you know stuff. But you know what? Uh, we're, we're carrying on. We're getting out there and we're doing it. And I think I think that's one thing you have to you have to you know, keep reminding yourself on that, that you don't have to play the best army, but you have to play that army well. Every day that you're in this hobby, can you be the best version of yourself in this hobby? Do you get all your models painted before you buy a new one? Uh, do you do you get do you understand how to play that army to the point where you don't need to reference your book? Can you make it through your entire turn sequence before your opponent's got to take his turn sequence in a round in 18 and a half minutes? Can you get that rhythm to the game? You know, those are the things you should be challenging yourself on right now and not worrying about whether or not you should be playing Idnit Deepkin over, say, you know, Cities of Sigmar. That's not the point. Um, so I, I hope that uh, one of the takeaways from the show today was that you guys saw how excited we are for, for this hobby. And um, I hope you took some of that excitement and, um, and, and, and really just kind of uh, embraced that. And we hope that we helped you appreciate the hobby a little more. That's it. That's my closing thoughts. That's all I got. So that's it. We are, uh, we're getting ready towards the, we, this is the end of the show, man. Are we, are we done already? I, I think it's uh, we hit our time limit a little bit ago, and uh, we covered quite a a lot of information was on this show. Yeah, yeah, um, we we did. From statistics to numbers to rankings to uh, be the best player you can be. Yep. Sort of like the old army, be all that you can be. That's it, man. Now you can now you can safely with a clear conscience you can go on that booze run now you were talking about. Oh right, got to restock up the uh, old cabinet. Actually. I need a new uh, refrigerator down here. My uh, downstairs refrigerator just not stopped on us like it's dead. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what? We'll, we'll see what we can do about helping that out, man. You know, <laughs> I mean, we'll have to see, man. You, you got to keep the beer cold, man, unless you drink it yeah, really we'll fast and you don't have to worry about that. The beer fridge. <laughs> if, if you drink it fast enough, though, you don't have to worry about that thermodynamics crap at all. I promise you. But that's it, guys. Another uh, another great show, and that's a wrap. So please don't forget to give our channel a like or subscribe if you haven't already done so, and follow our podcast if you haven't already done so also. And if you don't, I'm telling you this, I warn you every single week, guys, if you don't, the Grimdark Goons are going to come over to your house, and Chuck's going to teach all your ham- hamsters how to build doom wheels. Those fuzzy little bastards aren't going to be quite as funny and cute by then. I'll tell you that much right now. So that, that and Chuck will do it. I've seen him do it. it it's, it's pretty terrifying. Right, Chuck? And uh, if you're not following us on YouTube, like, subscribe, uh, leave some comments for us in the comment section. Get on Twitter, follow us on Twitter. Uh, my handle is uh, at ODT Gaming, and you can follow yep. Grimdark Live at Grimdark Live. That's it, man. That's it. And you know, and, and get over there and do that. We really want to thank everybody for uh, for being part of the show and being part of the Grimdark Live experience. So, folks, thank you so much for being part of this uh, the show this evening. Grimdark Live will be back next week at 7.30. So until then... Roll them dice fun and fair, and don't be a frickin' short pants. Bye. Good night. From Dark Live, we'd like to thank you for slumming it through another show with us for all things dice, dragons, demons, and a dwarf in the Age of Sigmar worlds. We'll be back live next Thursday, so until then, remember, roll them dice fun and fair, and don't be a frickin' short pants. If you missed the live show, you can catch us again right here on the next Grimdark Live podcast.
Never fear, gang. There'll be more great content from Grimdark Live throughout the week with Monster Mondays, Table War Tuesdays, Warhammer Wednesdays, Grimdark Grudge Matches, and a ton more. So stay tuned and stay grim, all you dice-chucking-glue-sniffing gamer goons. You're all awesome. Looks like I picked the wrong week to stop sniffing glue. Remember, embrace the main message here from Moondark Live, and that's a social contract we have between gamers and the commitment we have to each other and this community. We're only as good as our last game. Check us out at GrimdarkLive.com. Don't forget to give our channel a like or subscribe if you haven't already done so. So long, Grimdark Goons. Until next time, may the dice gods bless you and your sweaty palms. Bye. Hey, who are you calling a short pants?